for club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it all right welcome everybody this is the reality czar's podcast and you, uh this is your host Nate and then I've got my guest host Caleb again uh and uh today we have an awesome guest we have Andrew from Popular Liberty uh, Andrew, do you want to do uh, your plugs up front? Tell everybody where they can find you. Sure. Yeah, you can find me at. Uh, am I coming through on volume? Yeah, I am. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, you can find me at Popular Liberty underscore on Twitter. You can support my work if you if you like what you hear later. You can support my work at subscribestar.com, You know, forward slash Popular dash Liberty, and those are the best. And you can also find me at Popular Liberty on YouTube. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad that you're on. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I listened to, I think, every single appearance you had on Pete's show uh, like twice today. So I, wow. I listened to you. <laughs> I don't that know if that's wild. possible, but I listened to uh, quite a bit of it today. Mm-hmm. So I, I did uh, I did some crunch homework. All right. Yeah. Cramming for the exam. All right, man. So archotropism. And I do want to call it anarchotropism every single time. And I have to stop myself. <laughs> I wish. You know, anarchotropism is, is what we just call Christian love. It already has a term. So, you know, the, uh, the opposite, uh, you know, is, you know, is archotropism, unfortunately. I, it's cool tonight, too. We're, we're all Christian anarchists on here. Yeah, well, not quite. An, I'm not quite an anarchist, but I do believe in a private property society. I just, oh, I, I, I think you'll have private states in the in the next two. Which is at, at this name. point, I'm just whatever Hoppe and Yavin is. Yeah. I, I think it's monarchist, but pretty much whatever Yavin is. Yeah, that's that's private statecraft, but yeah. that's that's going to be the way it ends up. It's still private, but technically, it's yeah. still, it's, yeah. it's still basically. I, the I, state, just, I just want a company town with a Catholic church next to it. That's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> I've kind of, I've kind of come to reluctantly come to that conclusion that like that is what's going to happen. I used to have you know the autistic dreams of in Kapistan, and I don't think it's going to happen. So mm-hmm. as long as yeah. we can shrink the state and have as much personal freedom in our lifetime, that is all we can hope for. I can hear the we in the distance now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like unfortunately, I don't think it's going to look very good when we finally get it because it's going to come from the left. You know, like they're the ones who are going to actually, ironically, they're the ones who are probably going to get the, uh, get, get us to end Kapistan, which is like not great. <laughs> well, they're driving for a hard split up, man. They're wanting a hard breakup. Like we're trying to make it easy. We're trying to be amiable and <laughs> yes. Or if, you know, again, if we get lucky with Cascadia, you know, we might, uh, might, might get some, might get some luck. Come on. We got those four shocks, uh, going right now. And uh, please give us the 8.0. Get rid of Portland. Uh, so for all the listeners here, Andrew was just explaining to me that I'm going to be dead in the next couple of days. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully you're far enough north. Hopefully you got a good cliff in between you. And, make sure you uh, upload the podcast uh, after this. Yeah, immediately after this. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, got some. Uh, got we got some four shocks. What looks like four shocks today, and and uh, in Cascadia. So, you know, with any luck, we'll get like a thirty foot tsunami in in Portland, and we'll be safe. So if it somehow safe. just took out Portland, that would be pretty damn amazing. I know. <laughs> if Portland just, is like, Seattle. Modern this Sodom and Gomorrah. Right there. <laughs> it is Sodom and Gomorrah, dude. It's disgusting. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs> so, so about. <sighs> 
Well, I guess it was this summer. This summer, uh, I was in a little metro or a big fucking metro city right outside of Portland, uh, and with like you know a hundred thousand uh, population and right next to Portland, and uh, it was a rat hole, dude. And yeah. so we packed up the family and we moved to a little red county and a little red town, and uh, I think we've got about eight thousand people out here. And it's nice, man. There's two homeless people in the entire town. I know, I know their faces, and I those are the only two that are there. Um, I used to think there was no homeless at all, but there are two guys. What's uh, the town name? Uh, I haven't told anybody on the podcast okay. yet, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you after. Yeah. I don't know why I fucking even pretend to care about privacy, but it, uh, That's okay. yeah, at some at some point, everybody's gonna fucking find out. Uh, but. And I've got some like nice redneck neighbors out here that said if the homeless people were walking in the neighborhoods, uh, they would disappear. And I didn't ask any questions, follow up questions. So that's the type of little town that we live in. It's quiet. There's no, you know, there's not much traffic. There's just nice people. That's perfect. It's been great, man. Yeah, Sodom and Seattle are what happened when you let Arcotropism get out get out of control. I mean, Portland and Seattle. Yeah, yeah. No, there's lots of let go Brandon uh, flags out here and some big old Trump flags out here and just I, I chill saw a people guy, out uh, here. Saw a guy, I was driving to work. I saw a guy had a Trump flag above the American flag. The American flag was upside down. And I'm like, this is my guy. This is my favorite boomer now. This mm-hmm. guy takes it for real. <laughs> All right. So archetropism. And how we're going to take this country back, little by little, one town, one county at a time. Yeah, yes. That, basically, this is the part of part of praxeology. Libertarians don't really like to talk about. You know, they like to pretend it doesn't exist. Just call it evil, and that's all you need to understand about it. It's evil, and you know that, and nothing more needed to understand. It. You don't need to understand the enemy beyond knowing that they're the enemy and evil. So that's and uh, it's that kind of superficial. Uh, you know, I, yeah, that sort of superficial analysis that has kind of held us back as a movement for a good 70 years or actually, yeah. well, if you really want to go back, you know, blame all the classical liberals, they should have known this one too. But, you know, I can at least say, Hey, when Mises ga- gave us human action, this should have been a chapter. I mean, and, we can well, go back and blame this on Martin Luther, right? Hmm. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah, you can blame it on Martin Luther, but, uh, Luther yeah, and Warren of Ockham. That's yeah, my, you can basically go all the way. Yeah, you can go back to the uh, uh, to the basically the the debate over the over the filioque clause in the you know in the great in the great schism. You know that that's the uh, that is one analysis of it. You know that yeah. you know their 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 concept of love is malformed, and eventually it leads to it, the concept of the self. You know which we got from like Descartes, which was again came from William Vacham and all that, and yeah. you know and and then it kind of mutated into Martin Luther, and you know mutated worse from there. Yeah, but it took a good thousand years. So <laughs> all downhill from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like industrial revolution enlightenment reformation all those things right there all connected yeah. all terrible but basically with archotropism what you're talking about here is the you know the, this is the praxeology of predation this is why you know when we talk about human action the the other word for the for that book you know the other title for that book that was first proposed when Pinesis was going to be social cooperation mm-hmm. and this would be social predation you know mm-hmm. this, this would be social competition 
you know, whereas, you know, okay, why is it that humans, you know, if, if, if libertarians were right about everything, then why did Keynesianism win the day? You know, that, that should have been really, that should have been real obvious why they didn't win because, you know, the, the rest of the praxeology, you know, there's also, there's not just social cooperation, there's social competition too. Yeah. And we need to understand that too. And, and that these are kind of a, they are a trade-off and we can say one is evil and the other is not. And, but you know, that's, you know, that and a dollar will buy you a Coke, you know, but so- yeah. Do you think history, libertarian history specifically, would have been different if Ludwig von Mises had changed the name of that book, had kept it? Well, no, I wonder if, if that would have changed anything at all. Well, if, if he had if he had uh, made a social cooperation, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have blamed him as much. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, with the, the fact he made an even broader term, human action, I was like, eh, okay, now this needs to be a chapter. Because if you're going to talk about social cooperation, I can understand why social competition is not in the book. You know, but uh, you, you do need to, but if you're going to make it a broader term like human action, you do need to, you know, make it a, you know, give it a, you know, a solid one chapter to itself because this is like the other half of the problem. Yeah. You know? yeah. How do you think we could have stopped the Keynesians? Do you, or do you think that was inevitable? Uh, I, I would say that was inevitable. They beat you to the punch. But yeah. uh, if you, if you were going to, you know, you're not going to stop them. That's the problem is that, <laughs> is that the, uh, you know, there's no good way around. There's no good way around the 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 problem of power, and you're gonna have to win. You got to figure out ways to win in spite of them, and you got to do what the Keynesians did: is you got have to basically give the the state or the ruling elites a reason to adopt your ideology that one gives them more power and two gives you more liberty, because that's one of the conclusions of archetopism is that actually those are not you know, necessarily uh, fall. They're so not necessarily mutually exclusive. They're, it can be both. Yeah. Son of a bitch. I know. And so <laughs> God that, damn it, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, basically for 600 years, you know, we've had, you know, the state, you know, trade us liberty in exchange for, you know, power. And, you know, they're, they're willing to make that trade. And there's 600 years worth of examples of them doing just that. We got mm-hmm. private property was born this way. That was what happened 600 years ago was this was the first instance of you know private property where the serfs you know were able to buy the land from the feudal lords and that's pr- how we got private property and so you just trade them money you trade them uh you know wealth or power or or whatever in exchange for them giving you the whatever liberty you want and you know value for value create more value Duh. So have you heard the theory that uh, the way that we got out of serfdom was due to uh, the Black Plague? And yep. there were so many serfs that died that... Half of Europe. Yeah, half of Europe, that they just couldn't control them anymore because there wasn't even enough work and people just kind of... And then their labor became much more valuable and so then they oh, could yeah. sell it and different things. So I almost wish COVID was a real thing so that... <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. We might need to clean up house a little bit, but if we could only do, uh, we could only wipe out like specific, <laughs> specific demographics. It'd be great. And it's like, we could just kill commies. There was a commie virus. <laughs> okay. If there's any, if there's ever a way to, you know, and the problem is if there's ever a way to wipe out, you know, like the, the more high time preference, uh, you know, yeah. behaviors that, lead to communism unfortunately that would also kill off all the children 
Yes, that's because true. Children are high time preference by nature. Uh, yeah, they yeah. have to be. Yeah, that's that. They're, they're kids. That they, they, they don't survive any other way. But uh, and for, yeah, and you know the problem with commies is they're basically children who were had stunted growth. They're that really is it. Stop growing when they're kids. Yeah, that really is it. Yeah, that's funny. Well, on this I, point, oh go, ahead. oh, go ahead, man. I was on a point of like liberty for trading, um, the liberty and power thing, trading, trading uh, for liberty. It bugs me so much. So many people don't see it like this. They see like anytime you have any anything around it that keeps you safe or free or free is inherently bad. Like you have a, you have a strong government, strong board that keeps you safe. But that means you have no liberty. Like they only view liberty in absolutes, and it's very frustrating. I saw the guy today about it, and just like. I want to live in a company. Town. Like, you want to sacrifice your liberty to live in a company town? Like, I'd be much better off and have more freedom in a company town because of the order that I provide. And they oh, just yeah. don't get that. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. I mean, that they're, you know, I think autonomy is one of those, you know, that, that they will just say, hey, I want to be autonomous in my nature, you know, in my mm-hmm. being, in my body and all that. I have self ownership. And when you, you know, start making stuff like that the focus, what you end up with, with is, you know, really much more like social isolation and mental illness. That's actually a wonderful, uh, you, know, I, you know, autonomy is actually a wonderful recipe for mental illness, which always lends yeah, itself to the state. You yeah. know, that's chaos and chaos always, you know, breeds power by demand, but through its demand for order. Damn. It was um, the atomization of the individual. This is something Scott Hahn writes about in um, First Society. How the atomization of the individual is it really grew to stay because it's such a family structure that could provide for people. And when people came individually, they had to find that structure elsewhere they found in public schools in the state. That's exactly what like, they did. Yeah, it's, it's a great book. If you, I recommend everybody listening to read Scott Hahn's First Society. Even if you're not Catholic, it's it's pretty good. And now we're basically down to marriage. It's like the only one we have left of a, you know, a social relationship we're supposed to respect. And yeah. That's like the only one. And you know, whereas, you know, like 600 years ago, it was like a web of... You know, relationships you were supposed to have with a, you, a, a web of responsibility and obligations you had to other people. Like you had like the, you know, like the like the master and the or, or, uh, or like maybe your more like your landlord or your feudal lord and your serf relationship. You had your master and apprentice. You know, you had your relationship to the church, and you know, and, and everything was just you know one responsibility or obligation to other people after another. And that's why you didn't really have a concept of the individual. Like it existed, yeah. like, okay, you have a concept of a person, but not a, like, like, but an individual is just a different thing. That is something that is separate from all these other things. And that did not exist. And that's, yeah, I think we may, maybe we were better for it. Yeah. I guess I get my question with a lot of people is they, they so wrapped up in their terms of this century, pretty much. So they, like you'll say, we were better off then. And I'm like, but they didn't have dental work. And they were they were all like dependent on each other. It's like yeah, but they were happier and freer and better off. Like yeah. the goal to be liberty is we want to be better off, and they were better off than we were. Mm-hmm. But they had a king. Okay, they were better off. Well, I mean, and the problem with the problem with the system wasn't that it didn't work; it was that it worked far too well. Mm-hmm. And the uh, basically that you know one thing I talk about in my other talks is that monarchy actually has like four you know four major scalability issues, like traditional monarchy where with an actual yeah. king, not a yard a Yarvinian monarchy would not have the same problem. But yeah. the uh, but you know, but the traditional Catholic, you know, really is we're not talking about Christian monarchy, we're really talking about Catholic monarchy. Yeah. Yeah, it was the success story that gave us 
Unfair, you know, that gave us the eventually an invented capitalism. And see, the problem with the Christian monarchy it only works at a small scale, so small economic scale. The reason, you know, because number one is like the central planning problem, you know, basically. And so, right there, that you know, there's just there's no separation of ownership and management. See, like in a big corporation, there's separation of ownership and management. These are not the two same entities. And but, but what happens, with, and the reason for it is like when you have a big corporation, the reason you separate the two. Is that that you know having them together has a major conflict of interest where the you know the owners but you know who are also the managers will want to just kind of loot the company for value and then take it and, and, and uh, peace out and you get the same thing like in France and in Russia where they're like oh just you know let the peasants eat cakes you know it's like they get all disconnected they just end up looting the you know basically looting their kingdoms for their own personal benefit and that kind of baits the left into a social uprising and. That's a major problem, but the and the other major problem, you know, of course, with like a monarchy is it's one guy, you know, is it, and, and literally all that's separating you from, you know, between anarchy and monarchy is one bullet, <laughs> one well placed bullet is it, is it, and so mm-hmm. if you don't have that kind of, if you have a uh, no separate, if the, you're you're one guy, you also can't, you have to have a, a central planning problem on steroids. So the more wealth you create, the more hierarchy you create. You know, okay. Well, you, now you're trying to centrally plan a whole lot more. See, it works when you're small because you know, there's not that much to plan for to centrally plan for. When there's a lot to centrally plan for, you're fucked. And and there's and of course you, then you get this problem of the scale, uh, scalability of you know well what happens when you start creating more wealth? Like we, you know basically what happened in 1602 is we invented the corporate structure. We invented this new structure which is like you know turns production on steroids. Yeah, and it's like it's like production times ten. It's, it, the, the corporate structure is so perfectly balanced for you know for net production of everything humans ever want. So and then when you do that, okay, well now you're going to start end up creating a whole lot more humans too in order to supply workers for that corporate structure. And you know now you have a lot more production, so you can afford the new, the new workers. And the problem with that is that okay, well once you start creating uh, all of these extra humans, now you have a real problem with the circulation of elites. Because part some of those humans who are born are going to be elites and you know they're gonna want the power eventually they're yeah. gonna find each other. And if you're looting the, the, the your your kingdom for your own personal benefits, you can build yourself nice lavish palaces instead of like fortresses. You know, mm-hmm. and that, the problem that's gonna gonna give you is that well okay, now you have basically a standing army outside your gates ready to tear your head off. And yeah. didn't have that problem before, and you know, and now they have like a, they are able to whip up the people and get them all angry, and you get the French Revolution. And so I was listening to uh, a podcast. It's called The History of Africa, and they were talking about uh, the different like kingdoms, I guess, in Egypt. And he was kind of explaining. It, it kind of sounded sem- mm-hmm. kind of similar to this. So, like when they had one pharaoh that was that had absolute power. Um, mm-hmm he didn't have the same, I mean, he had absolute power and he could do things, but his tyranny was kind of uh, limited. Right. Yeah. And so in, in different uh, pharaohs would try to expand the bureaucracy. He would have like a vizier and he would have different, like he would start a bureaucracy and then he would, he would ultimately start losing power. Like the state would yeah. have more power, but he would lose it because he, he was so stretched out and there were, his control was now in the name of so many other people. And so um, ultimately it sounded like the, at least for the Pharaoh and probably uh mm-hmm. Probably for the people, it was a lot better when there was one centralized power that had the ultimate Mm -hmm. power instead of the bureaucratic state. 
Yeah. And That's the, all uh, I was thinking when you were talking about that. That was. Yeah, with the like with yeah. the pharaohs, you know the uh, you know that they're in Africa. That's the only they're in the north uh, northern region of Africa. That's the only region where you really can have a real industrial society, and that's why the rest of Africa is kind of a shit show. They have terrible geography, ter- terrible for trade, terrible for you know uh, you know you cannot get economies of scale. You don't have like great soil or anything like that, and you're you're kind of just fucked. And yeah. if you're living in Africa, you're kind of just fucked. There's no way to really build wealth there, except for in that, maybe in the very south in South Africa and in the very north in Egypt. And, and, and in Egypt, you're really just talking about the Nile River Delta. That's about it. Yeah. Everything else is just bad, de- you know, bad land and deserts. And so you get one, you know, pharaoh there who can rule over and be very, very productive in that Nile River Delta. And that's about it. And so, but, you know, because, you, you know, everything is so densely packed into there. That's like the entirety of your country. The rest of your country is basically uninhabited. So you can, so that monarchy, because it never it has a, a scalability issue, it has to stay small. You know, it can if it's everything's densely packed into one region. Okay, you can get a pretty good size monarchy out of that. But the moment it really starts to grow and grow and grow, that's the problem. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that, that's going to lead you back to the circulation of elites. That's going to lead you back to the. You know, the the, uh, the problem of, you know, okay, and then the problem of consent for the people, <laughs> you know, like the kids, you know, the fact monarchy doesn't have consent is one of the things that keeps it small. You know, republics have consent and, you know, we're kind of, well, consent's us. It's not really consent, it's, but it's, they have a consent-like mechanism that enables them to grow much bigger because it turns out when you allow people to, con- if you don't let them consent, they will, wa- you know, want to keep the, the state really, really small. But if the uh, but if you let them consent, turns out they're, they're actually will consent to quite a lot of tyranny. <laughs> yeah. Just this is a total side note. This I thought was pretty funny. I think this was like two years ago. There was a scientist that I think um, I'm trying to remember which specific pharaoh it was, but they did like um, some genetic stuff and they they recreated what he would look like, and he mm-hmm. turned out to look kind of like a white guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And. Uh, he just happened to release this in February, which is Black History Month. And Jesus, <laughs> the reen, the, the anger. Yeah. <laughs> it was just the Sounds funniest amazing. thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, basically, the pharaohs were basically white guys. And they're, then they're, there they're was some, uh, Arab, you know. There was some pretty fantastic memes of like white guys in cargo pants and stuff saying, We was kings. It's pretty fantastic. <sighs> so, yeah, if, you look at, if you actually look at on the uh, on the hieroglyphs too, it always shows them with blue eyes. You yeah. Know? That, that, that ain't a, uh, you, you do have like white Arabs who will have blue eyes. And yeah, totally. Eyes. And you will not see that with blacks, though. Not not the uh, not the children of Kush, unfortunately. No. They did they did not have they do not have that ph- that uh, phenotype. So how do we? So let's say theoretically we get to the monarchist Catholic kingdom. How do we keep it from expanding? How do we keep it small? How do we keep the? You separate ownership and management. Mm. You know, they, basically that was the. That was the one mistake that, you know, kind of brought down the entire system was there was no separation of ownership and, and management. And, and, and I blame Charlemagne because he had the perfect opportunity. He had the whole, whole place united and he had a whole bunch of descendants. And instead of uh, trying to, uh, you know, turn his, turn his uh, entire kingdom into a corporation, which is what he should have done, 
you know, and just handed his children shares and allowed them to appoint a, you know, kind of a dictator or a representative of them, you know, based on their votes uh, and then just allowing them to hand their shares down to their children. What you ended up with was, you know, he ended up breaking apart his kingdom after he died. And that gave us, a, you know, and you know, making each of his individual children, uh, you know, kind of monarchs. And he also, you know, gave some to his bastards as well, because his bastards ended up being a lot more competent than his, uh, yeah. the, you know, the, than his uh, actual children. But, you know, he was a good, he was a good father. He gave them his name and everything. But unfortunately, the, uh, you know, that ended uh, very badly because that mm-hmm. was all of human history. All of human history got screwed by that one decision, or I should say, Western history—not human history—but all of all of Western history. Yeah, that was one one point of change. If you had just made that one change, everything would have been different. So theoretically, I mean, I always think about the secession problem, right? So there's mm-hmm. one king, and you want to keep it in the bloodline, so then he has the incentive, right, to keep mm-hmm. the kingdom, you know, in top yeah. tip top shape because he's passing it down to his line. Uh, but what if you get a dud, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I, I like that he gave maybe some some power yeah. to some of his bastard kids because I do want to think that there is like a well, that's you, the, you want them to be able to pick the you know instead yeah, well, of just being the firstborn. Well, that's the best part about a uh, you know separation of ownership and management is that you know by separating them out. So okay, you have shareholders. That's ownership. And management is basically your your that's your actual power. That's like your CEO and your C suite and you know and uh, and your uh, chief financial officer and all those guys. So by separating that out, what you can do is like by handing those shares to your kids. They now the shareholders have an incentive to manage the management. And so they can is that, that kind of what board. England is doing right now? I mean, they've kind yeah. of okay because yeah. yeah, it kind of seems like a. They're not, they don't have the power, but they have all the money and kind of the respect and power. And yeah, it's like, you know, the uh, that you know, they're, they're still a traditional monarchy, but you know, the difference is very, very slight. You know, if they if they would just uh make it a you know, just you know, separate that out, you know, that what you can do, then you can buy and, sh- and share uh, 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 shares, and that solves your circulation of elite problem because now you get, if you have a dud. You know, he's not going to be able to hang on to the shares. You know, he's just going to have to sell them for, you know, pot money or whatever. And, you know, yeah. he'll end up selling. Eventually, they're going to make those shares are going to make their way to the uh, elites who are going to hoggle them like crazy. And then when the elites die, they hand them on to their kids. And if their kids are duds, you know, they'll, they'll sell it out. And, you know, it's, it solves it, but it also solves your war problem, too, because, you know, now you can't go to war anywhere because you don't know where you, you know, where your bosses are. And, you know, and much less your boss's kids. Like, imagine, like, the, you know, you're going to be, uh, you know, some of your bosses are, you know, if you if we had done this in America, you never would have had civil war because you would have had, you know, you know your boss's kids that you're shooting at or, like, drone bombing or whatever are in the mm-hmm. South. You know, and that's just not, that's going to be a non-starter that, uh, yeah. you know, you're going to be shooting at your shareholders' kids. Like, that's never going to work. They're going to out you in two seconds. This was the, the the solution we should have had here in America was that, you know, we should have ma- we should have made it a, a you know a corporate monarchy. And I, I kind of suspect this is what they were going for because they seem to understand that okay, democracy while democracy solves the circulation of elites problem, it solves the consent problem. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do with it? You know, yeah, but like yeah, but like how you know it solves it, but also has all of these really terrible side effects where it allows the you know the government to grow enormous. So we're going to have try to have some sort of hybrid model between 
you know, monarchy, but monarchy solves the, all of those you know, issues, but comes with, you know, the circulation, circulation of elites yeah. and the management pro and the, uh, you know, no separation of ownership and management problem. And whereas a republic kind of, you know, solved the, uh, the other one a little bit, but not really, but so we're going to try to merge these together and they just did the merger wrong. You know, they, they, the merger should have looked like a corporation, you know, but instead it was the, the, the constitution bastard that we got. <laughs> Hamilton or Jefferson? Because liberal yeah, parents hate Hamilton, but like they hate Hamilton for the economic stuff. And I did, yeah. I still don't like his economic stuff. But the more I look into like the monarchy system, I'm like, eh, Hamilton wasn't so bad. He had some, yeah, he had some reasons to yeah. like him. It's like with Hamilton, it's like uh, I, I have to pick Hamilton over Jefferson. But interesting, like, God, they're both they're both kind of awful from my perspective yeah. because it's like. It, you know, Je Jefferson's model was the one that would have given us like a bunch of civil wars like Rome. You know, it's like, I, and so, you know, but Hamilton's model only gave us one. So yeah. only we got away with one really, really bad civil war that killed like, you know, 13% of the population. And yeah, it's like, okay, it's like, it's like I can, uh, yeah, I have to choose Hamilton. Hamilton was better. My only problem with Hamilton is that his whole thing really led to Henry Clay and Lincoln, and I I, just, I can't stand Lincoln and Henry. I hate Henry yeah. Clay with a passion. No, we would have gotten a whole bunch more Lincolns under Jefferson. Yeah, so it's it's the Hamilton Jefferson divide really is a, a weird libertarian divide because some mm -hmm. libertarians jump on like loving Jefferson and hating Hamilton. Yeah. And I think it's purely for economic reasons, and it's very autistic about how they, they view it. They kind of look at it more. Well, Thomas Jefferson one, just talks such a good game. If you yeah. read old Thomas Jefferson, it gets you all excited. Yeah, I'm, he's I'm, like the Lenin. Yeah, Lenin, but for liberty. <laughs> yeah, I like that the libertarian Lenin. That's uh... yeah, it really is. And, Jefferson's uh, letters on um, what was it? He had letters on um, the war belongs to the living. So how do we create a system that corresponds to those after we pass? Are we going to just force future generations to accept our rule of government and our decisions? And it was a very good letter. I wish he actually did something about it. Yeah. But yeah, we got uh, you know, yeah. You know, but yeah, you know, I, I do like uh, I do like Hamilton because he, he what he got right was that okay, if you don't have some sort of counterbalance to you know just pure republicanism, you know, you're gonna get uh, a bunch of wars because you're just you're just setting the table for you know demagogues to come in and you know just and uh, say it's their fault and you know we should take the for, take from them and you know fundamental fairness and. You know, equality yeah. and all that shit. I mean, you're, you're just, you know, just laying out the, rolling out the red carpet for these people. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when you, when you try to, uh, you know, have a real set, the real, the actual, you know, the Bill of Rights and all that, that was Jefferson's solution didn't work. <laughs> and that was just not even, not even close to functional. You know, I call them minor checks and balances mm -hmm. because they're just like, they didn't really do anything. You know, and uh, Madison's checks of, well, okay, okay, well, with the federal government, we're going to separate it out. And like, no, they're still all on the same team. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's not going to, that's not going to work. But what really did work was, okay, a separation of, you know, federal government from 50 states. So it's like, uh, on one hand, you got one federal government and you got 50 states on the other side saying, no, fuck you, you know, theoretically. And, you know, and it does generally work out that, the states will say, no, I want my turf. You know, this is my turf. Get away. Mm. Yeah. So and, I must just have terrible instincts because I think I heard you talking about this. And I always loved the Articles of Confederation. Mm -hmm. I thought that that would have been like the much better <laughs> situation. 
This is the moment that really blew my mind when you said about yeah. um, the Pagano yeah. and the you broke my I, heart. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I really liked in the Articles of Confederation was that the other were all okay. Two two things. One of them didn't work because they didn't do it right. But that was a, that was a more fun, that was a fixable issue. And the other thing, that, you know, was uh, basically that one was that they actually had the states tax the state the states and local governments. The problem was they had a really shitty enforcement mechanism. And but that could that could have been fixed. You know that you know, but uh, I really like that aspect because then you you basically would centralize, uh, you know, how you would keep your tax policy ultra local, which would have been, caused a race to the bottom, which is great. You know, that's exactly the sort of thing I'm trying to do with the anti-tax is re-engineer or put in the fix that they should have put in, and they should have had gotten that right the first time. But because they did have stock markets back then that they could have used, and they didn't anyway. The uh, or stock exchanges, I should say. But uh, anyway, the thing that, uh, you know, the other thing I really liked in the Articles of Confederation was that they had a kind of like term limits where you couldn't run for consecutive terms. You know, you could you know, get elected as many times as you want, but not consecutively. So every single time it was a new, completely new Congress that came in, completely new freshmen all the time. And that generally leads, lends itself better to liberty uh, than yeah. people who have been there forever. The problem with the Articles of Confederation ultimately was that you, you know, this is a, uh, uh, you, you just had a whole bunch of just pure republics who are very, who are very, you know, who are one neighborly and two, you know, that's a that's a really big problem. You know, Republican republics were neighbors to each other; they always fight every time, no exceptions. And the uh, and so but never, would it have been at small scale, and maybe it would have been better? Or you think it would have it would have erupted? Far bigger than Rome. <laughs> it's yeah. like the, you know, if you look at like the individual like Roman municipalities, you know they were had far fewer people, you know, because just because it was back then. Because <laughs> I think yeah. I guess well it was monarchies then too. I guess that's because I was just thinking about Europe how it was like. Well, I mean, they like used to Africa. just go to battle, but it was like it was almost just like for show, and they'd have a good time, and like maybe a thousand people would die, and then yeah, they so. would all go home and drink beer and like hang out, and then. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you compare the body counts of, you know, you can't compare uh, across time. The, the problem with comparing across time, uh, this is something that, you know, like uh, Steve Pinkerton does, which I think is extremely uh, dishonest. I hate that, him so much. Yeah, it's like what he will do is he compares like the, de- you know, like, okay, supposedly the 20th century is like the worst century on earth. You know, it was all republics and democracies. And then, you know, we'll look at how many people died as a percent of the population versus you know, uh, under, you know, monarchy, you know, and he shows that, well, actually as a percent of the population, more people died under monarchy than in monarchy wars than Republican wars. And the problem with that is, well, uh, you know, one of those has, you know, modern medicine invented and the other yeah, one is not. So it's true. like, yeah, we're able to save a whole lot more people from dying and save them if they get their arms blown off, you know, in a drone bomb or a minefield or something. We can, you know, kind of say we can save them now. And they were just, is no. that a blessing yeah. and a curse? I mean, I almost like if, if both my legs yeah. are blown off, can I'd rather just die from the infection. I could be brought back. And... But yeah, but if you compare, if you compare like, you know, contemporary monarchy to contemporary republics, and we don't have any of those today, but yeah. you go back a few yeah, hundred years when we, when we did, it's like republics were, you know, absolutely blood monsters compared to the monarchs. And it wasn't even close. And, you know, if you put republics to, you know, side by side, like we did with like Roman Carthage, it was just a shit show. One war after another, you know, really, really bloody, you know, many, many, <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was, it was just uh, unworkable. 
And you're, and like basically the only real exceptions you get to that, you know, are the are basically like Attila and you know Genghis Khan, you know, because those those were technically monarchy, although that they were te- although they, they worked, at, you know, Genghis in particular, but the Khan, with the Khan Empire was a lot more uh, democratic because the Khan had to get elected by the other Khans. You know, in order to be Khan of Khans, you had to get elected. So what you know didn't have that many voters because you didn't have that many cons, but you know, but you know, but but for that, you know, it's still, you know, it was still, you know, a lot closer to, uh, uh, you know, to a more monarchy, and you couldn't, you could kind of technically hand it down to your kids, but not really. That didn't really happen. You know, it got handed down for like three generations too, and uh, but that didn't really work out. And yeah. It was supposed to, get, you know, it went from Genghis Khan. It was supposed to go to it. Uh, his other son but his you know but he had two sons or well he had more than two sons but the uh you know but basically it was you know but you know one of them stole it from the other one <laughs> and uh and and killed that and killed the first and so he ended up getting it and then that got handed down to kublai and then that didn't get really handed down down from there because it just got it just got got turned into a total shit show but not before kublai managed to you know unite all of china two times that's true china. Two times in Chinese history where it's been united. Once was under Kublai Khan, and the other was uh, now today. <laughs> and it's the time that's been, you know, like whack a mole. It's been basically, uh, I call it whack a mole genocide edition. <laughs> yeah. Because by the time you get your army to the other side of the of the empire, you know, another side is in rebellion. So you're just playing. It's just a constant ga- game of whack a mole. Yeah, China was just too big, man. And I I don't think that it could easily be ruled uh, without this modern technology, without this type of shit show we're in now. Too big, too many, too many people. The geography is too terrible for marching armies. I mean, it's like you have really bad rivers, really bad floodplains and deserts. (laughs) And and uh, you got you know really rugged terrain in the in the south that just it does not lead it lend itself to moving an army from point A to point B. Yeah. And it just doesn't. And the only way the, the only way the Mongols accomplished it was because they had horseback. You know, yeah. They, they, their entire army, their entire horde was on horseback, basically. Hmm. And that was it. I Maybe often. Could, oh, go ahead, buddy. I was say, it might be a bit of a jumping off point, but I wanted to ask you: What's your opinion of Constantine and the whole? Like, I, a lot of um, a lot of Protestants. Uh, I can't remember this one. But basically, every time I bring up a Reformation or Christian monarchy, every mm-hmm. Protestant I know says, well, actually, Constantine's the reason to blame for everything going bad. No. In a way, the Catholic Church. And I'm like, I don't think that's the case, but I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, so I figured, I'm going to ask Andrew. He seemed like he'd know. Yeah, with Constantine, it, you know, it, it was a... Uh, <coughs> you know, good because Christianity was officially legalized. Up until that point, you'd had... You know, a variety of emperors that range from okay, we're just going to like kind of live and let live, and it's still illegal, but I'm not really going to enforce it. You had a few of those, and then you had a few more, and then you had a few more who were like, okay, it's it's that you know, I don't like Christianity because it conflicts with my, uh, you know, my republic. You know, my republic is really an empire, but I'm still trying to pretend it's a republic. And uh, you know, and they didn't like Christianity so much, and then you had you know others like you know Domitian and Caligula who were just awful. Really, really awful Nero too, and uh, never just you know, and uh, so yeah, and then you know, finally you got it like completely legalized and adopted as a uh, state religion, and of course immediately you know you get problems there because now it's a state religion. 
Yeah, yeah that's been... what I was going to ask about. It's because, yeah. like, I mean, before that, Christianity, I mean, I guess that just, it changed the game because Christianity well, I mean, before that had just kind of been, like, communy, kind of hippies, kind of, right? Well, it's, it, it's, it's a pick-your-poison sort of situation. Yeah. Do you want to be the, the state religion or the state persecuted religion? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, you could be, like, fed the lions or, you know, boiled in, in boiling oil boiled in acid, you know, uh, you know, crucified, you know, you know, what's fascinating to creative in how they kill people. It, it reminds me right now of the libertarians because there's so many that would rather be eaten by lions than to be the state religion. You know yeah. what I mean? Then <laughs> that's a funny way of putting it. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking true, dude. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, Dude, you need to tweet that. Tweet that right now before we do that. Okay. That is a really good way of putting it. That's funny. That's a that's a really excellent way of putting it. That you know, there's so many so many libertarians who would rather be be eaten by lions than be in the state religion. <laughs> Have the state adopt their religion. Oh my god. <laughs> All you know, right. then, then have libertarianism be the state religion. Yeah. That is funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why, you know, as a, yeah. you know, um, you know, comedy, you know, essence of comedy is truth. That's right. Um, I was going to ask you about I, I had but yeah, so like you asked me about Constantine. The problems you, you ended up getting were pretty obvious, where by 500, uh, you know, AD, you were basically, uh, try, you know, having the, it was called Cesaro Papism. And this was one of the things that ended up causing the great schism is that the emperor wanted to uh, basically appoint the pope instead of the yep. college of cardinals uh, or the, or the, you know, co- uh, community, uh, co- community of bishops or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a really big problem where that happened repeatedly. And eventually the, uh, you know, they, they had, you know, that was one of like the main political reasons for the, for the great schism. And it wasn't really over doctrine stuff. You know, there, there, there were doctrinal differences, but they were kind of small and they were, and a lot of times they were due to just, you know, bad translations from Greek to uh, Latin. There was one time where they, uh, you know, they had translated as like, okay, well, what do we believe about Mary? I think we're, I think we're all Catholics here, right? I know two of us. Protestant over here. Uh, okay. Yeah, so anyway, well, you, you, might appre- you might appreciate this then that, uh, you know, at the time of Charlemagne, there was like one, uh, uh, you know, Charlemagne, the emperor. And, uh, you know, basically there was a, a, a council at Nicaea, I believe, that had, you know, ruled that, okay, we only, you know, we, you know, which is the Catholic position is that we venerate Mary, we do not worship her, you know, but we don't, we don't adore her the way we adore Christ. We adore the Holy Spirit, we worship the Holy Spirit. Those, those were the synonyms. Venerate is one level down where we do not worship Mary. And mm. when they had translated it from, uh, you know, like one of the things from Greek to Latin, where they had, they had mistranslated uh, the word venerate for the, you know, as the word adore. And, and uh, what's his name? Charlemagne was like, aha, right there, heresy. You're, you're excommunicated. And he excommunicated the great, the great patriarch you know, of Eastern Orthodoxy at the time. Ah. And that, 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 that was like one of the you know, big falling out points that, you know, eventually it would, it would be irreconcilable for other reasons. But that was one of the, the really big events that led up to the Great Schism you know, 200 years later was they were still, still really butthurt about getting excommunicated when they had actually done the right thing. Uh, yeah. That's fascinating. I I always kind of wondered about how that worked because I got a lot of Orthodox buddies 
Yeah. I got Syrian Orthodox buddies. I got uh, Greek Orthodox buddies and a bunch of Russian Orthodox friends. And I, the, so how does it, how is it different? How, I mean, it's similar to Catholicism, right? Very um, similar, it, right? It really, it's it's yeah. Sodi, I would say. No, the Filioque, for one. Yeah. The Filioque is really the only major doctrinal position I can think of. And that, you know, basically when we, you know, I don't know how, what, you know, what brand of Protestants, but usually Protestants will accept the Nicene Creed. You know, that's, that's you know, that's the, the one from, uh, you know, like 300, but it got updated a few times. But basically where it says, uh, yeah, we yeah we believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and you have all seen unseen, and and, and in His uh, and and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, life from life, truth from truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that whole thing. I don't know if you've heard that, but there's one line in there where where we get to okay, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and Son. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, East the difference between uh, like that and you know that's like the Roman Catholic version that's usually accepted by virtually all Protestants. Okay, usually. yeah, I mean that sounds and, good to me. I'm I'm a strange Christian. I, right yeah. now, I'm going to a Messianic church with uh, with some a Russian Jewish Messianic yeah. church. Interesting, interesting folks okay, there. So you me- me- Messianic Judaism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I have, I have a decent idea of what that entails. You guys are pretty good on the Old Testament because you're heavily inspired by the Judaism thing. But the, uh, yeah, that, that's, yeah, you're going to be pretty close. You're going to be like, fairly Catholic there. But the, uh, but the difference with, with the Orthodox is they, instead of saying, okay, the Holy Spirit, Lord, give her life, who proceeds from the Father and Son, they leave off the and the Son. You know, it only proceeds huh. from the Father. And basically, the, uh, you know, their conception of the Trinity is that both the Son and the Holy Spirit proceed from, uh, proceed from God the Father, and unfortunately, what this uh, you know, this is where I say, okay, there was a problem, you know, with their conception of love, because remember, God is love, so and that that actually goes both ways, and He has love built into his to His uh, to His own system. Like, it's not enough for you know for God not to be a self. He's not only what not only is He not you know basically you know not only, this whole concept of the self is is that we have is just wrong, and. So, like, even when we say we believe in one God, that one God is actually three parts, you know, three, yeah, three yeah. persons. And so the, uh, you know, even God, you know, is not a, uh, he's not a self. You know, he, he is a tripersonal being. And the, but the, pro- but the problem that, that that gives when you say that both persons, both the second persons proceed from the one, that is where you get the self. You know, so is that, that is the self. You, are you saying that is a Protestant idea? Well, that was where we got, that was where we ended up getting the self from, you know, and, and that self was what, you know, gave, gave rise to Protestantism 500 years later, you know. Fascinating. Was, I guess um, I just honestly don't know enough history on it. Yeah. And I, I have a friend that was, was a Protestant and he has become a Catholic and I've done, basically a lot of my Catholics. friends have basically said that like, once you do enough uh, study biblical study, you become Catholic. It's kind of uh, what I think John Henry uh, Newman I, said to be sheeped <laughs> in history to cease to be Protestant. Um, yeah, John Henry really, Newman said that. Really, if they can just like get a historical perspective, they become Catholic very quickly. Yeah, that's funny. I, I'm still digging my heels in, but I'm I, I don't know. I'm gonna go to Bible school here pretty soon, so who knows what'll happen? Yeah, I'm open minded enough. I don't know. Maybe I'll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was raised at an evangelical school, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but I was you know, raised Catholic at the same time. So mm-hmm. as a uh, you know, they weren't exactly friendly to the Catholic Church, and that just in my rebellious spirit, that I rebelled <laughs> by being a more Catholic. 
<laughs> the building is my, te- my evangelical teacher is by being like really, really hardcore Catholic and really, uh, really well-versed Catholic, you know, and uh, I do, but I do give them credit that they gave me a knowledge of the Bible, Bible that I would not have had otherwise. And I am eternally grateful to, mm. you know, that to the Bible school that I went to, you know, for teach, for just teaching me what it says. And that, you know, that I, I give them credit for that. They did try to do a little bit of interpretation, but they kept it kind of minor. They just said, we just want you to know what it says. You know, if you can just, memor- you yeah. know, just memorize what it says, good enough. And we, we you know, we're going to give you a little bit of interpretation too, but you know, we'll try to, you know, in the intro, because there's a whole bunch of different Christian types there. We don't want to be arguing all day. We want to actually just get the material done. So we're going to try to keep the interpretation to a minimum. I thought that was a really good way of doing it. I like that. I mean, I'm in kind of a, an interesting group. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bad Roman. Uh, it's my buddy's, yeah. uh, my buddy Craig's group. And uh, we're an interesting group. And basically, as long as you recognize Christ as the king, then like mm-hmm. we've got we have, we got Calvinists, we got Orthodox guys, we definitely have Catholics and Anglicans, and you have my weird ass and all kinds of we're a pretty interesting ragtag group of Christians. Anglicans are another. My mother is you know, Anglican or Episcopal. And uh, but basically the only difference there is the, between Catholicism and, Angli- and Anglicanism is the Pope. That's about it. Everything else is just co- you know, copy-paste Catholic. Yeah. That's funny. And, I mean, I, do Catholics recognize uh, divorce nowadays? I mean, is that still no. a thing? Or? That's, no. the, you yeah, know, yeah. well, basically. Yeah, no one's like, so weird. Because that was the break, right? I mean, uh, King uh, yeah. Henry VIII wanted a divorce yeah. from yeah, he was tired of executing his wife. Now he yeah. just wants to divorce him. It's like, oh, how civilized. But uh, it's like, even right there, see, the Catholics are civilizing the state. <laughs> it's like we managed to get him to stop killing his wives and, you know, and get him to uh, be civilized and just try to divorce him. But, you know, uh, you know, it you know, didn't quite work out the way we had planned, but whatever. But yeah, that was, that was what that was. But yeah, Catholics, we still are very, very hardcore about not you know being, not allowing divorce but we're made we did make annulments a lot easier to where we say okay there was never a valid uh you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know union and so yeah. that was the uh or you know that was the that was how we did that so yeah. do you recognize uh joe biden and nancy pelosi as fellow catholics or no no. Well, no, 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 no. They miscommunicated. Uh, I'm, I'm, they miscommunicated. Yeah, because normally I would say yeah, I'm yeah. putting them on your team. That's uh, yeah. Normally I, I say that uh, you know it's like I try not to be ju- you know I, I normally would just say no they're really bad Catholics but no I don't believe they're actually Catholic mm-hmm. at all I think that kind of because they're, they're reptiles you know okay well you can't be <laughs> no they're not demons so they can't be Catholic so that's the but yeah I, I think that that for them is really just a. Uh, you know, ju- just a uh, cam- you know, kind of a camouflage or like a checkbox. Yeah. Dude, I and shiver not- every single time I hear Nancy Pelosi refer to herself as as a Catholic and then as a deeply religious person. <laughs> I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. I'm sure that she's been like repeatedly condemned by the like the Council of Bishops here, here in America. The Pope, not so much, but oh. the uh, but the Council of Bishops has been at least decent on uh no joe biden is not a catholic and he cannot receive communion yeah <laughs> and uh yeah i like the fact that a lot of people like that i still think it's a half measure you know yeah. if you're going to say you're catholic and in public you support abortion i say okay you, you're being a half that's a half step excommunicate. Yeah. do people point. still get excommunicated huh do people still get excommunicated no but they that's should often. they should, they should. <laughs> i mean 
Yeah. I mean, I, I find that funny. I mean, cause you know, the old trope and you even brought it up in one of the podcasts you're talking with uh, Pete, that if something isn't explicitly right wing, it will eventually turn left wing. And that's all I'm yeah. thinking about the papacy right now. I'm thinking about the Pope and well, just it's, how it's, it's funny you mentioned that because remember we, we go back to the corporate structure, you know, that corporate mm. structure is, is a really, really good at getting rid of what, of like entropy. So my, like with my archotropism framework, you know, the reason, you know, I can prove very, very quickly that anything that is not explicitly right-wing order will eventually, uh, you know, devolve into left-wing chaos, you know, because, you know, basically my fifth law of archotropism is that in a closed system, you know, all, you know, all power tends for that, you know, will accumulate entropy and, and transports chaos. You know, so when did leftism, do you know, huh? uh, do you know when leftism started uh, uh, infiltrating the church? Because uh, it seems one. like it's been a while. Yeah, it's day been... One. I, I mean, I was listening to like an old history podcast about, and um, essentially, like these Jesuit priests were pretty fucking lefties, dude. They were pretty left, hard leftists. And... Dude, we have had like gangsters and murderers as pope. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, Satan has done his very best. This is one of the reasons I, I say that, you know, Matthew 16, 18, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the grace of hell will not prevail against it. Peter being a, you know, a word for rock, you know, so. Yeah. You are a rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church, et cetera, et cetera. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And boy, have we put that one to the test. <laughs> and, yeah. Like, but, you know, it's like the, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, I, it's almost comical watching Satan try literally everything he can do to, you know, to get the Catholic Church to fail, and it just well, doesn't. It's, gone, it's, it's the only institution that appears to be just completely immune to archotropism, if there's a, you know, if there, at least to the fifth law. But I can tell you why uh, you know, it actually doesn't, but you know, it's only an appearance. But the reason is the corporate structure of the papacy, basically, where the, you know, how the, you know, the College of Cardinals elects the, uh, the Pope, and the Pope you know, in turn appoints the, the Cardinals. And you know, and so because there is that, uh, you know, reordering mechanism right there that is extremely, it's a corporate structure that is extremely, it's basically Yarvin's patchwork is what that, what you're looking at there is it has the same exact incentive structure. And because of that, you know, this is why I can say that a corporate model will work, you know, for government is this the exact same model that's working for the Catholic Church right now. And boy, have we tried literally everything to, you know, Satan has tried everything when it comes to, you know, screwing with the Catholic Church. Nothing works. You know, I mean, you can have murderers and gangsters as Pope and, it, and you have like homosexuals, apostates, try everything and nothing works. They always bounce back because of this incentive structure that really, really, really works well. So <laughs> this, uh, this is a great joke. Uh, can't remember where it came from, but it was a, it was a French bishop, a French priest trying to convert this businessman to become Catholic. It was like in the 15th, 15th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy's like, I'm, I'll be back in a month. I'll think about it while I'm on a trip. I'm going to go do some business with the Vatican. And the guy's like, let's just baptize you and convert you before you leave. Because the moment you see everyone, on it, it's not going to last. And I came back and the month was like, I'm ready to convert. Let's do it. It's like, you didn't stay with the paper family? You didn't see it? The Vatican? I've been in business for 20 years. Only a, only a business ordained by God could last that long. <laughs> it's so corrupt. It's, yeah. it's so breathtaking. I mean, it's like, that, like the U.S. Congress has nothing on the corruption of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church for like two, for two millennium. Like two yeah. millennia. No, no, no comparison. Catholic Church is far worse. And yet we're still here. There was no, like you said, there is no bishop. There is, there is no company, 
no state, nothing that can that can out, that can you know come even close to the Catholic Church and survive. Mm-hmm. Nothing even at, within a tenth of the corruption and survive. No. And it's yeah. not even close. And so this is either ordained by God or this is just like or, or this is some freak miracle. And I, I think it's a uh, a little bit of both. That one, it is ordained by God, but it, it, too, it is also this you know corporate structure which is good at getting rid. Of the you know the bad the you know the bad popes and the bad and and the uh, you know and the bad effects that they have, but it's still yeah. shocker that even the bad popes you know were like they never seem to you know you know have any real doctrinal problems. That was one that, thing. That that was like, there was that one guy. He basically tricked his way into being the pope. He had like a he had a nun who was his uh, mistress. <laughs> And he tricked yeah. his way into being the Pope. There's quite a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he tricked his way into being the Pope, and he was going to, like, make a doctrinal statement, an infallible doctrinal statement that's going to, like, be a heresy. And he couldn't, and he, like, died a week later. Yep. And it was kind of like, people was like, this is the reason why we trust the Holy Spirit, not that that happened. They literally think I died. It's like, yeah. It's, that seems as good reasons to believe in the Holy Spirit stopping people from making inf- uh, bad statements on papal infallibility. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. in that case, are we hoping the Holy Spirit takes out this particular Pope, or... I mean, he, he's dying. I heard. I heard he's dying. He's dying. <laughs> so it seems to be working. I mean, if yeah, the Rona yeah. is real, good God, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jesuit. Uh, what do you expect? But yeah, so the uh, but yeah, this this uh, current Pope, like you know, I, I, I say this dude's basically is like bordering on apostate. You know, is like the uh, it's never used in the infallibility. Basically, you have to invoke it, and he never has done that. And. But uh, you know that's that, that's the rule, and they haven't done it. And there's only like two or three times it's actually been done. But the uh, but yeah, so the, you know this guy, you know, we, we've had bad popes before, which is sad, you know, because like all of the popes leading up to this one were really really good, you know, especially when it came to socialism. Like I mean, like the, you know, if you want like re, you know real hardcore condemnations of socialism, you know, like you know contemporary to to, to it, don't go to the Republican Party, don't go to the American right. Go to the popes of the Catholic Church; they're brutal in their in their condemnation of socialism and communism. And then you get Francis. Fascinating. And uh, <laughs> and so yeah, but, you know, but for Comrade Francis, you know, we'd have an unbroken line of popes who are really, really based when it came to. I mean, they're calling like an absolute abomination here to destroy civilization as we know it. <laughs> and, and it's like really, really like they're like not missing words at all. Like this is an evil institute, evil ideology completely. You cannot be a good Christian and a good socialist at the same time. You know, I mean, it's, like, I mean, it's true. I mean, and I guess it's on your definition of socialist, but yeah, there's no state socialism that you can be yeah. a good Christian. It's just, no. Nope. Nope. And, uh, but yeah, they were, re- I mean, they were really based when it came to condemning socialism, but then we got Comrade Francis, but. And this is the time know, we need a strong papacy. We need a strong Pope in this moment right now. And Yeah, but you know, I, the way I say it is that, you know, the existence, the continued existence of the Catholic Church would not give glory to God if it had a long history of being run by brainiacs. <laughs> yeah, the fact it has a really long history of being run by morons and, you know, heretics and murderers and gangsters. Uh, I, I think that actually gives glory to God because there's no other institution that could possibly <laughs> that could possibly persist, you know, with this level of corruption and stay and not just like you know uh, exist two thousand years later in any form, but actually grow and thrive and prosper and create civilization, you know, you know for like you know tw- for twenty unbroken centuries and nothing else comes close to that. 
So, do you think Joe Biden really shit himself in front of the Pope? That was the. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's absolutely. pretty fantastic. Yes, I, I mean, mean it... It, it confirms my bias too well that you know it's like basically that you know Satan is you know a uh, he he can't resist portraying his own people. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and it just in the in the presence of just being in the Vatican, you know, he, you know, Satan shit his pants. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I can't I, I can't resist that that's too that's too good it, it's like it's one of those things it's like i don't if, if it's not true you know if, if it may not be factual but it's true you know <laughs> it's pretty fantastic yeah and, uh, <sighs> but yeah so that like that's the uh that's where we, you know i you know i i like where you know caleb brings this up is that i think this you know this uh yeah, this corporate structure of what Western civilization could have done differently to beat archotropism and, you know, to channel it properly is to adopt this corporate structure, which, you know, the Catholic Church has a very, very similar structure to, uh, which will make it work. This would have, you know, you would have had far fewer wars, you know, or, vir or virtually, really virtually zero. Uh, you would have had, you know, a, you know, boundless prosperity. Capitalism would have invented been invented far sooner. It got invented really in the the way we know it. It was invented technically like six hundred years ago in the invention of private property, but really it didn't really get going until like two, until like uh, you know four hundred years ago when we invented the joint stock corporation. You know, and that was when it really got put into overdrive, and because that is you know much more more perfectly balanced. Uh, you know, incentive structure. But if you would had done it this way, we would have, you know, medieval history would have been completely different. We would have been on the moon, you know, centuries earlier. And, you know, we, and we would have had you know, just boundless medical technology, you know, way, way, way sooner. But unfortunately, we did it wrong. So here we are. We're stuck with some shitty republics until we can manage to course correct and change those republics into the corporate structure which will in turn, you know, hopefully, you know, give us a, uh, a better society eventually. Cause in the, I, I do say eventually and not immediately because the corporate, it looked the, the particular corporations in question that it looks like we're going to get right now are like Apple, Google, Facebook, Twitter, like these are going to be the actual corporate overlords, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's not great. And, uh, we're, you know, we're going to have trouble. That's a, but, uh, you know, while that persists and until they finally break up into, or, or they, you know, really just change their incentive structures, which they will, you know, then we're going to have some discomfort to say the very least, yeah. but at least we probably won't have that many wars. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Speaking of, I mean, that's what's going on right now in Russia, right? I mean, I mean, Putin is really drawing a line in the sand, which is fascinating. And, uh, it sure would be nice to have a stronger president at the lead right now than uh, poopy pants. Then, <laughs> well, you know, or, or you know, but then Kamala, you know, the the uh, yeah, I, I I wish, but uh, yeah, the the good news is that I don't think we're going to have a war. One, there are nuclear power. Two, you know, the uh, you know that like the American people just do not have an appetite for it. And if you're going to be having a border dispute in Ukraine while you're our own border here on the southern border. It's just like wide open and porous and awful as a, it's like a humanitarian disaster zone. And, and uh, like, yeah, we're not going to take this. Like, no, fuck you. We're not going to war. And, you know, if they try to go to war, you're just going to get, you know, a whole, you're, you're going to get like a full blown secession that, you know, movement here in the United States from the American right, probably supported by the American left as well. 
because we're like, not just fuck you. We're we're done with you. I like it, and I hope that's true. <laughs> so. Yeah, with, and with, uh, but yeah, you mentioned Putin that uh, he's basically, you know, he's basically a dictator now. So, you know, it's kind of good. You know, at least it's better than, than democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on Xi Jinping? I mean, Xi Jinping, he just he literally just like passed something where he's he's supposed he's to be. Yeah, he's emperor for life, and then they've also put him on, uh, like, what do you call that? Like, respect level with Mao. Like, he's he's, kind of... uh, No one's had the... He's actually even more powerful than Mao ever was. Yeah, totally. Way more powerful. You know, because, you know, not just because... You know, not just in status. He's more powerful just in status, but also because he has way more technology. And uh, and people and prosperity and food and everything that he can use that yeah you know, he's way more powerful way more powerful than Mao and what I predict is that you know basically you know what I predicted several times is I think they're now that he's you know Emperor Xi and not just Chairman Xi I think he, you know he might actually try to turn in, into a real empire you know with a, as a monarchy rather than a the, just the communist dictatorship that they have. And he's kind of going through this right now, but you know, with his uh, you know, uh, anti-corruption purges, as you call them, <laughs> <laughs> where he's uh, you know getting rid of any any of his detractors and throwing them all in jail. And you know that's you know eventually he's going to get to uh, you know uh, uh, not to uh, yeah I think it's Deng Xiaoping you know who, who is uh, basically his main detractor. He's still alive. He's in his nineties, you know, so he's not alive for much longer. I think whenever that whenever that dude finally passes away. You know, at that point, all of his supporters are going to either switch sides to uh, Chairman Xi because no one's protecting them anymore, or they're going to be. And at that point, it's just Chairman Xi's supporters. And, you know, then, of course, they're going to say, yeah, this should be a hereditary monarchy. Why not? And we don't know if if he has children, but we're we're pretty sure he has at least one daughter. We're not sure about more, though. But, you know, g- given the way these guys, act, you know, these uh, commies act, he's probably got hundreds of bastards. That's so. what I was thinking. I'm assuming he's got a goo gob of kids. He just keeps yeah. them under wraps. Yeah. And uh, th- but, yeah, that's going to be the uh, the thing is, you know, we're going to find out. Yeah. Once we start finding out more and more about his heirs, that's where that, you know, that's going to that's when this is going to turn into a hereditary monarchy. And if that's that, they're going to get rid of the AP or something because that does not work for them. And. They real and but but also they also have that uh, that horrible uh, uh, problem with not having hit people. <laughs> but the, yeah. the, the irony of chi- of one point six billion Chinese is that in a hundred years there's going to be like less than half of that amount <laughs> because of all of that all of the, ter- the the terrible problem they have with the one child policy and the two yeah. child policy, which is yeah. By the way, yeah, speaking of the two child policy that used to be a ceiling, it's probably about to become a floor. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, so it's like you're going to be uh, you know, mandatory to two children rather than a uh, you know rather than a, yeah anyway. How they had a public how they had a public holiday now where it's like a, basically a government forced Valentine's Day almost. Where it's just like yeah, this is. <laughs> That's because they they really fucked up the system that, like that. And I might, uh, need to go, you know, I might need to go to China. They would have been a 21st century superpower, but for that. And you know, you need because you, what you really need is you, you need one cannon fodder, you know, and two, you need uh, you know, e- economic people. Uh, you need people to run your economy and pe- and people to you know, people you know, grind your military. Yeah. And they and they have neither right now. The reason being is that they, they do have quite they do have an excess of boys. 
the but the problem with that is those are all one child boys and yep. because you and so basically and but and because you don't have a real pension system or anything like social security or anything like that they, you have the natural welfare system, which is really good, you know, where, you know, you're, ch- you know, you raise your children with lots of love and then they grow up to take care of you when you're old. And be, but because of that, you know, that you have all of those one boys, you know, you, uh, you know, what, what that ends up being is, you know, okay, I want to send your retirement policy to be shot at by the Americans. <laughs> yeah, gonna... and they're like ah uh, no <laughs> that's fascinating yeah i mean that that is really true that might keep them more peaceful than yeah well, currently well, yeah. well the, the it will keep them peaceful towards us towards themselves because you have 40 million sexless young men of military finding age yeah. <laughs> who are about yeah. to be unemployed because of the uh, pr- the uh, problems with uh you know their economy uh, you know, the, the, that's the sort of situation. This is why the Chinese government is, has, spends twice as much on uh, on domestic security as they do on their on their foreign military. <laughs> is because now you have all of those se- those young, sexless, fighting age men, men who are now jobless. <laughs> you know, and um, mm-hmm. nothing, they don't have to wake up for work or uh, in the morning, or they don't have any kids to take care of. Uh, now you have a real problem where those forty million extra men. You know, might decide to take a long walk, and when you know young men take long walks like that, the you know governments tend to fall, and the CCP would know that's how they got their job in the long march. Yep, <laughs> that's uh, fascinating. Isn't, hey, isn't yeah. China surrounded by enemies still? Like on the Vietnam oh, yeah, and Taiwan, by people who ate them for five thousand years. Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't see, but honestly, the neocons uh, propaganda on China is so crazy. When you just look yeah. into it, like I watched you one video on it, and I yeah. I see the propaganda, I'm like, that is so full of shit. Yeah, it's I know, insane they're, they're, how much they piping up China. Yeah, I know China's so fucked. They're they're not a threat. I mean, they, yeah. like, they're far more of a threat to themselves than we are. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, they, and they are never going to you know like if they don't. The only reason right now that they would possibly you know invade Ch- invade Taiwan, which would you know that would spark a war because mm-hmm. you know there are a whole bunch of American corporations there that would be attacked. You know they're and the, they're not gonna like, and the corporations are the real government. They're not gonna like that. So as you know, uh, you know, but the reason China only reason China would still do that because it would be an immediate disaster is so that they could control the narrative about why this disaster is happening and they could say it's all the U.S.'s fault. And that's the only reason they would do that now is just to control the narrative. Do you have enemy on the outside? Economy is like a controlled implosion. And because the, the first thing we would do if there was a military conflict is cut them off at the Strait of Singapore. And basically that's that Strait of Malacca is where, is where all of their oil has to come in through. And we just cut them off right there. And then, you know, two months they would be, you know, the entire co- uh, country would be dark. So they would have no electricity in the entire country in, two, in less than two months. And... Yeah, not to mention, and they, you know, they're, uh, you know, okay, they also have agriculture systems that were shut down, so you're running into famine too <laughs> when that mm. happens. And you, you know, think, I think they have more uh, diabetes than America does due to starvation. Yeah, yes. and it's like this like, thing was like seventy seven percent of the agriculture yeah. that was still done was mule and animal. Yep. Like it is mm-hmm. just not a good situation in China. Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's I guess over the people, but I'm just it's weird that they hype up the next big war with China. Like, come on. Oh yeah, China has fucked the kingdom come. They they are zero threat to us, and we should definitely not have a war with them. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah, so, so the uh, but yeah, but, but with uh, because of this uh, demographic problem that they have, where you know too few kids, and you know Christian, and you know one of the things that's really really highly uh, correlated with not having kids is secularism. Ironically, it's funny that, you know, your secular atheists who believe in like Darwin and all that, 
unfortunately that you know what was ironic about that them their belief in like evolution and all that is that uh, secularism, atheism, Darwinism, all that stuff is very highly correlated with not having kids. Yeah, <laughs> I've always, I've actually thought about that recently as a giant white pill. And I'm like, our enemies are the ones that are not reproducing right now. I know. If we the can just... haired screaming psychos that are actively right now sterilizing themselves and their kids and mm-hmm. <laughs> are not having babies. And... I'm not going to lose my sleep over it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we could just get our kids away from their propaganda machines in the public schools, they would, yeah. they would destroy themselves in under a generation. And yeah. that's like the, uh, and it's the ultimate white pill. If we can manage to take the public schools, which are at the bottom of uh, the bottom of local government, it's doable. If the right would just do it, you know, we would yeah. we, we would win in a generation. But yeah, with but with uh, with China and Chairman Xi and uh, well Emperor Xi. I predict he's going to you know start uh, a reboot of a very of a we'll call it Christianity with Chinese characteristics, mm. which is not going to be a very good Christianity. But no. you know, wh- but you know, hey, a belief in God is highly correlated with having a shit ton of kids, which would fix their problem. You know, another fascinating thing about China is that I was recently reading uh, a little bit ago that uh, they have created a Ministry of Manliness. Because yeah. of so many of uh, of the boys yeah. are kind of a little femme, and they were looking at K-pop as an existential threat, and so <laughs> <laughs> and they're you know deplatforming feminists. Uh, you know anyone who's you know has any sort of association with feminine with uh, feminism is getting thrown off of social media. <laughs> it's like it's like they're it's like they're becoming far more right wing, which is something you would expect to see if you're if you're expecting a. Uh, you know, and, and a real monarchy to emerge out of the, the republic that they have right now. And I do call it a republic. Well, I find it fascinating, too. It's like there's nothing more right wing than when the communists come into power. Yeah. Then they go hard right. It's, yeah. They start getting rid of all <laughs> their left as fuck for the revolution. And then they t- go hard right once they have that fucking <laughs> consolidate all that power. And yeah, all those like, revolutionaries, they're the first ones to go against the wall because you don't need revolutionaries once you have power. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah. You don't need to uh, you know, have a perpetual French revolution you know, once you have consolidated all the power. And that's one of, the, it's one of the only reasons I'm tempted to let the left win is because I know it's going to be the lefties up against the wall first. And the, the only reason that I, and the reason I'm not tempted is because I know second is going to be the right first. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, it's a, but eventually it would turn right and yep. you would get your Putin. Yep. On a, on a point about uh, Chinese Christ- Christianity with Chinese elements, um, Mao did something similar when he kind of adopted old Marxist thing. He adopted yeah. very Eastern philosophy elements and played Chinese elements, made like a weird Chinese Marxist mix. And that's why most Marxists don't won't actually be, uh, like, yeah. hold up Mao to think that they hold uh, Lenin and stuff because he really. Butchered their ideology, and it's kind of it's yeah. interesting to see that a lot. With um, yeah, with uh, Mao, I think that was his actual term. Is we are implementing socialism with Chinese characteristics. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of did a play on that. Where okay, it's going to be Christianity. You're going to adopt Christianity with Chinese characteristics, yeah. and in order to you know one you know help solidify the monarchy because having Christianity around, which is a monarchical religion, you know, is really really nice if you're going to be a monarch. It's also really helpful that if you have a really bad birth situation, you know, and you're trying to, you know, ma- you know, uh, get your people to have kids again, when getting them to have one is difficult, you know, and like the women just don't want to have one because they want to have a nice life. 
and that's the, and that's that's kind of the the, the the dirty secret of the Chinese uh, China getting to be a wealthier country sort of thing is they're not getting wealthier they're getting older mm. and they're not having kids that's the reason is that you know because you don't have those those kids that as which are a cost to society and they're getting older so that they have the uh, you know that uh, you know they're getting better at their jobs and they're getting more experienced and they're they're higher value added etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Eventually, those old people retire, and now all that value added goes to zero, and they're just pure consumers again, which is a really, really big problem. And it would really help if you had some, you know, you know, uh, you know, high, highly transmissible virus that really only affects uh, old people. Gee, <laughs> 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 yeah, how convenient! But yeah, that's exactly what what, what looks like just happened. Was they they realized that they're you know, what little pension system they do have is not going to work and they're not going to be able to make good on it. And you know, we need to get rid of a, a like 40 or 50 million old people. Mm-hmm. That's about the number it looks like died. You know, we're not we're never going to find out, but even when you look at how much they're, you know, they're, in their sense is how many people dropped, <laughs> you know, that, that would, that, that's, they're blaming it all on the, on the lower birth rates, but reality is birth rates are probably a little higher than they're saying. And what happened was the death rate jumped. Mm-hmm. They said uh, officially there's only a few thousand people that have died from COVID in uh, in China, which is like bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So, sometime in 2020, they were saying it was only 2,000 people or something. It was like eh. yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's bullshit. And the uh, yeah, it's really closer to like another 30 or 40 million. And that was the, uh, the amount of because the problem you have with uh, with China again because you have nature's welfare system. You know, your children take care of you when you get old. So what you have is a whole bunch of intergenerational households. So when you come home, it's not just to your nuclear family. You're coming home to your parents and your wife's parents. And yeah. you spread it to them immediately. And so they're all going to, they're, they're going to die. You know, not all of them, but yeah. you know, 97% of them statistically won't survive. But now you add in all of the health problems and complications and that number goes up quite a lot. And because well, that's what I heard. With bad air quality. That's what I had heard that uh, why it hit Italy so bad was yeah. because of the multi generational households because they've That's got nice. everybody there and yeah. mm-hmm. that is like the one downside of multi generational households. Everything else yeah. is pretty great. I mean, yeah, but that, yeah. yeah, but yeah, but that was exactly what happened, and so now we're basically expecting the uh, at least I'm expecting them to adopt a more Christian religion and to go full full monarchy. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, let's say that's kind of a prediction. I know I'm out there, but, and I could be wrong. And so, so it's, not something, it's not a prediction yeah. I would hang my hat on. But, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, if, if, if I were she, that's what I would do. You know, and so I, I'm usually pretty good instincts when it comes to the elites. Because, yeah. In the meantime, America is going more secular, communist, and blue-haired, screaming, green freaks. And... Well, China's then, going right wing, and <laughs> you know, yeah. a good news, bad news situation. Yeah. You know, the the uh, you know the the bad news is obviously what you just said. The good news is, well, we have a fifth and sixth law of our fifth and sixth laws of archotropism. The you know the fifth law is where we get that four turning cycle from, where it changes over every. You know, it, it, the, the fourth generation is really the one you have to worry about, mm. where you get a real paradigm shift and. But at the same time, you have the sixth law of archotropism, which is you know where you get you know the right-left cycle from. So if you know, it's like you know every other decade, you know it really shifts from being like a right-wing decade and a half to a left-wing decade and a decade and a half. You know that's due to the sixth law of archotropism, which is that you know for every overreaction, there is an equal and opposite overreaction. 
Do you think we're due for another uh, we're right wing yeah, decade here? Yeah. Oh, not only are we yeah, getting yeah. started in 2016 and then got interrupted, which is mm-hmm. you know, likely to to make you know this is usually where you get violence. And this one was so disastrous. Like I just I, I'm trying to talk to I'm like Jesus Christ, this is the worst I've ever seen. And like, like, I mean, I was saying, like, back in De- in December, like, oh, my God, they're going to get violence. It's, it's like, this is bad. You know, we need, uh, you, know, a, I, you know, I was saying, you know, to my uh, family, who, you know, one of them was like kind of a, kind of a, uh, you know, just a, a, not like a woke Democrat, but like just, you know, hardcore, whatever CNN says, I believe it. And I was saying to him, this is a disaster. This is going to end violently. They need to get, you know, we need a real strong police presence right now because this is about to turn really violent. And you're going to see support for secessionism go up on both sides, not just one, both. You know, just through the roof. And he's like, no, never happened. No. And, and, you know, within within a month, we were at January 6th. and And now you have a support for secession on the right is like two thirds. Uh, and you know, and on the left, it's you know, for the Democrats, it's like forty-one percent, which is getting up there too. And yeah, uh, and I mean, this is just a disaster situation. But like, but because you interrupted that, you know, you were forced to interrupt the cycle. Now you're going to demand an equal and opposite overreaction. You know, because it's now it's not just the, the decade and a half prior. You know, where you had the, you know, like Obama and Bush. And where it was a real, like, kind of left-wing decade from 2006 onward, onwards up until, like, 2016. You know, it was just, like, the Democrats were going super far to the left, even according to the New York Times. Like, the, like the uh, Barack Obama in 2008 was closer to John McCain than Barack Obama in 2008 to, to Barack Obama in, 2006, in 2012. Yeah, 100%. Like he himself had moved so far to the left that he was actually closer to John McCain that he was to himself. Yeah. And I mean, that's the level of distance. And, you know, of course, Trey, I mean, it, you know, it, we would love to have 2012 Democrats back. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be great, you know, compared to how far left they've gone now? And I mean, they're just Looney Tunes, let, you know, let, less shit. And I mean, I look at to, like uh, Bill Clinton and I'm like, God, I wish we could have Bill Clinton back. <laughs> it was... Yeah, yeah. It was great compared to what we had. Yeah. Like, God, we didn't know how good we had it. But now you had, you know, all of that leftism, which is, you know, demanded its own overreaction in Trump. <laughs> and and then you just and then you interrupted the cycle with cheating, cheating. You cheated the right out of out of a, you know, the biggest election. And you did it in broad daylight, rubbed their noses in it, called them terrorists, called them racist, called them all, you know, all sorts of you know, names, you know, deplatformed them off uh, off social media. And, and this on top of the overreaction to covid. Oh my lord! Are you yeah. like it's like you know? I'm far more concerned about hey, like a real hardcore Pinochet type who's actually putting that yeah. just up against the wall by the end of the decade. Yeah, like, I mean I'm it's fascinating too because like what you were saying, what's happening in China is like you have all these young men that have too much energy and angst, and they you know they don't know no what the fuck to do with it. That's happening here too. I mean, people are getting fucking fired left and right. People aren't working anymore. People are getting kicked out for not having the backs. You're just going to have angry fucking men with, you know, too much People testosterone and nothing, people. you know, nothing productive nothing to, to put it into. They have no, you have no job to wake up yeah. for and no family to live for. Ooh, is that a bad situation? Uh, yep. and, and now you're, you're, you know, calling them terrorists, calling them white racist, 
you know, calling them white nationalists, call, you know, and yes, and uh, you're spying on them, you're censoring them, and they're feeling pissed. It's like, as like you guys, like I don't think we're gonna get it this next election. I we will get a right winger this next election, you know, but. I, I worry by the end of this cycle, which can go from like 10 to 15 years, the right and left cycle goes from 10 to 15 years, you know, the overreaction we're going to get at the end of the cycle. So like, you know, 2030, 2032 uh, timeframe, it's like, I would expect to see like the appearance of what looks like something like a Pinochet. Well, uh, what I thought was fascinating, and I think it was absolutely correct. Uh, I was listening, this was like, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, Stefan Molyneux was talking about how uh, fascism is is na- is a natural reaction to communism, and he said that, that fascism came out of communism as a as a right reaction to it. And I mean, like yeah. he was saying that uh, that the left taking this much and like pushing it this far is going to create the right reaction. Basically, what you're saying, and he was, yeah. I think, he was worried too that like like you said, maybe yeah. something out of this is going to be a Pinochet or something or like some real hardcore right. That, well, uh, what, it, well, what it is, is, is if you understand that the, the left wants chaos, this is their economic demand and the, the right wants order in an economic demand sort of situation. And these two are mutually exclusive. So the more you go for, towards one, what you're doing is you're, is you're creating a pent up demand on one side that will eventually become explosive and, and push back. That's well, when they turn reactionary and they really start shoving back. And then, you know, both sides do that because, you know, but this, this is a function that the sixth law of archotropism is a function of uh, pent up demand, you know, and this is why I call it the most explosive one of the, of the, of the six laws is that this, you know, the re- is because now you, it's not just demand for, you know, uh, chaos or, or order. It's demand for, you know, a, a chaos by force and order by force. Mm. <laughs> so that's why, it, that, you know, this is the really, really violent one you have to worry about. But also at the same time, you have the, 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 the four turning cycle, which is born out of the fifth law, which is born out of the law of diminishing marginal utility. You know, th- these two cycles are converging and changing at the same exact time. This is why I say, oh, this is not good. This is what this is like a recipe for a real uh not 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 hitler but really a pinochet yeah it's fascinating too because i mean they're almost begging for it like as you see uh what's his name uh, who is <laughs> yeah i mean uh who is the mayor uh bill de blasio as he's leaving like he's up in like two days or something he yeah. he just instituted a thing where he says like if you're five years old or over you literally can't go anywhere unless you have a vaccine and then he's saying that all private sector employees all private sector employees fully vaccinated or you can't work in this in new york city period and if you look at the demographics of it i mean it's like it's like 50 percent of black people are actually even have one dose of the vaccine so it's gonna what what are you gonna do like an already like a hurting demographic that probably wasn't the most employed to begin with you're gonna kick out the ones that were working you're gonna fire them or you know what I mean? And I mean, the they Latino community comes. too. And even the white community, I think it's only like 60, like 5% of white people in New York but city are like it's, fully it's vaccinated. worse than that with the black and Latino community. Yeah. With the black community in particular, the workers who are employed that you're actually talking about are women. And those are single moms and their yeah. children are, are disproportionately fatherless men. Yeah. <laughs> and you just fired their mother. Yeah. Ooh. It's like, yeah. you're a dead man. 
it's fascinating, man. I, I'm just shocked the gall on him. You know what I mean? And then, mm-hmm. and then you hear uh, Letitia James. Is that the the new? She was the uh, Governor. lieutenant governor or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, she's anyway. She was talking about we need to make it statewide. She said like fuck New York City. We, just New York City. We got to make this statewide or otherwise. And I'm like, for and you know the north of New York, they're ripe for secession. They already were before any of this happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's her saving grace is that she's in LBD and not New York City. The reason being is that the, the uh, a lot of New Yorkers don't know how to drive. <laughs> I say that from yeah. experience. Like these guys yeah. are terrible drivers. But uh, you know, those Yankees can stay up at, stay up there. I don't need them on my roads down here. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So, uh, like the fact that the the uh, you know all the people that you know are ju- now. Uh, really unemployed and really angry, you know, and all those gangsters, you know, who like all those single mothers who have gangsters for children, those gangsters don't know how to drive. (laughs) And uh, that's like, that's the only saving grace for Letitia James is that they can't drive up north to Albany and shoot her. And the uh, mayor of of, uh, New York, uh, whoever it ends up being, is probably not going to be quite as lucky. And and I'm guessing Bill de Blasio is probably going to get it too. And because let's face it, these are very mentally ill people and who have, you know, very violent tendencies and they have, you know, they're extremely tribal and you just fired, you know, their, their mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, like you ever seen a black man talk bad about his mom? Me neither. And you ever, like, you want to see them get really violent, do something to their mother. Speaking of uh, families, I also want to get this a little bit. Um, the, a lot of white wingers say degeneracy grows the state. We all think that's true, I assume. I want to go... Say again? Degeneracy grows the state. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay. I want to go a little bit into that. How does the like? Obviously, degeneracy grows the state. Getting rid of the family causes... I can never say that word. Degeneracy. Yeah. How exactly would you apply these things about the state wanting to grow itself and attacking the family? What's some examples of some of the... The state attacking the family. What things they've done around that stuff? Oh my god, where, you know, where do you begin? It's yeah. like with the uh, one, like one of the things that like their best thing they can do is, is like send their fathers and brothers and sons off to war, mm-hmm. and and that was like the that's like by far the best you know the, you know war on any country is is in, you know implicitly war on the family because mm-hmm. you get you know you're killing off all of the fathers, brothers, and sons who give those families structure. And mm-hmm. you now you're leaving it all up to the women now, which is, by the way, this is not their role. You know, this is not their natural role that to be, you know, the sole provider or and the and child bearer at the same time and to be the father giving them structure. You know, like they're meant to be nurturers and comforters and all that. That's And so now you're giving them all of the men's roles, too. And this is like the worst possible thing that they can do, that you can do to a society is send it off, send it off to war because it just obliterates the. The family structure and it takes mm-hmm. generations to fix multiple yeah. generations to fix and so you and then you add in on top of that like the welfare state where you're trying to pay women not to marry the father of their children yeah. and that's like well, i mean that's like i mean that's up there with abominable and you know that uh that's up there with the level of abomination literally bribing you know, women to like bribing bribing people to have terrible family lives it's, it's, yeah. it's crazy they, I think Thomas said, well, what about people go door to door, like welfare people go door to door and let people know of the situation. It's like you have door to door salesmen selling degeneracy and bribing it. It's like, how fucked up is that? Yes. It, I mean, it's horrible. And, you know, and then you add, 
and then you compound it with multiple generations of a drug war, which you know, mm-hmm. continuously removes, you know, fathers, you know, from the, uh, you know, fathers, brothers, sons from the family unit, you know, further destabilizing it. And, you know, and then it's like, you almost don't even need to, you know, promote the sexual degeneracy part because you've already laid all the foundations. Like mm-hmm. everything is already there. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, you, it's like, you don't even need the, you don't even need the matches. Like there's, there's sparks flying all over the book place there on you know like on dry kindling with you know rocket fuel on it and so, so like no duh like we we've you know had you know, just horrible situation for basically the last 26 20 years at least at least since i was born you know where i you know just the the, the presence of of a single motherhood uh, has just led to just an entire generation of, of truly fucked up you know mm-hmm. uh, kids who are now in turn having their own kids and are just, and are you know inflicting the sins of the father onto the sons, you know, so, so to speak. Uh, what do you think the state gets from promoting these things? So I guess it grows the state, yeah. right? You're saying, but well, it's like you know, basically because the eventually are, it tears it down, though, right? I mean, it, it kind of you know basically what it, that, what happens is when you when you're promoting chaos like this, people will demand order, you know, yeah, out of out of it. And yeah. Then, okay. And the price of that order is always more power. So what yeah. they will do, what they will do is, okay, here's this problem of poverty and uh, uh, poverty in the black community or whatever. So we're going to, you know, uh, give them a welfare program, you know, and that, you know, to basically really to buy votes. But you know, it, but ostensibly it is to correct the poverty situation, and of course, then they will use that welfare program to then make the problem worse and not better. And, and then when the problem gets substantially more and more and more worse, well, then we need new government programs because now you have all of these uh, kids who are growing up and they're having tons of sex outside of marriage. And it's a big problem that's causing poverty. You know, like having a child outside of wedlock is horrible. So what we really need is, you know, government state funded contraception and state funded abortion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need, now we need sex education in our public schools. And oh, by the way, now we really need public schools. And, yeah. you know, and because now these people, you know, all these kids are too poor to be too poor to private school. So we need to, you know, and, uh, and at every step of the way, you know, they're doing everything they can to just that, you know, every solution makes the problem much worse. It's kind of like the federal reserve. Uh, and of course, then, you know, the federal reserve is another great, 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 great uh, example of, you know, them just trying to fuck over the people. Cause now you have, uh, you know, cause now you're fucking over savers and you're, you're further destroying, uh, you know, the, uh, primary unit of, uh, uh intergenerational wealth and just like mm. savings. And, you know, you're making it harder and harder to afford housing, which is like the number one way you pass wealth down to your kids is you hand them a house that they can sell for money. And, you know, but, and, but, you know, they can't even buy the house in the first place because it's so absurdly expensive due to ultra to, you know, artificially low interest rates. Oh, oh and then, you know, when those bubbles burst, uh, then that's unemployment. Then we need bailouts, which don't go to the people. They go to the corporations and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Basically, there's one, you know, it basically is, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, the chaos causes crisis, which is then used as a fuel for more power, which then, you know, creates the, yeah, the more chaos and crisis. This is what me just yeah. about this. How intervention always leads to more intervention. You know, middle yeah. of the world is a social Oh, this intervention that works. We need more intervention to fix that intervention, and it just yeah. keeps cycling to its bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep, and it's, he ne- and he never quite described. Yeah, this is where I, I say like Mises, like and they and Rothbard, like they knew what they know what I'm talking about. It's like they will go right up to it and then they'll kind of like detour. Yeah, what do you think like, that is? 
They won't, and they, they never could directly engage with archotropism. That's why I have to be the one to do it. Yeah. Is that, you know, you know, this, because this, uh, you know, you would have had very different, uh, you would not have had 70s Rothbard. You, was, you still would have had 90s Rothbard, but you would have had him in the early 70s instead if Mises had really gone into, engaged with the archotropism, you know, side of praxeology. He didn't want to. It's because Mises, when you hear Mises write about like an important family structure, how terrible public schools are, like he's very right wing on these kind of like important oh, things yeah. of value. Oh, like yeah. everybody gets to love. Like he, hope the public schools breed sexual degeneracy and uh, mental well, illness. It's like, like public housing, you know, yeah. you know, breeds homosexuality, and that's why we should oppose it because it breeds homosexuality. And like, oh, I love this guy. <laughs> it was it was the public schools because it separates it's the segregation of the kids from the parents breeds sexual degeneracy and mental illness. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like he was—he was awesome on it. And he was very, uh, the Prussian school system family. is just disaster, uh, you know, but uh, unto itself. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. You look like you're about to say something, Nathan. Oh, uh, what I was going to say is, what is the power that we can offer the state for our freedom? Because I, I see what they—money. Okay. Usually, yeah, yeah. that's like, uh, well, it, power and influence. Yeah, pretty much. It's like if if you can offer them like a uh, like if you like with drug legalization or, me- or recreational marijuana, you know the states that uh, you know uh, legalized it, the municipalities that decriminalized it and, and tried to legalize it invariably were the ones that had really, really bad, uh, you know, uh, debt and deficit problems. And like in Colorado, when they legalized it in 2013, they were sporting a 25% annual deficit and they were facing bankruptcy. And so, you know, it's like, I don't know, I'm not saying that they rigged that election to, in favor of legalizing <laughs> marijuana, but I'm also not, not saying that, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but because they're, they're facing bankruptcy and they, and there's, this is coming with a, you know, basically a, a 25% tax hike, you know, that it, it, you know, it wasn't for free. They didn't just give you the, you know, legal marijuana, they taxed it to the hilt. And, you know, and in two years, their budget deficit was reduced from 25% to 2%. So, yeah. And yeah. ditto California, Oregon, Washington, Detroit, Illinois, you know, and Chicago, all of those places that, you know, really, really, really had deficit problems and had no way of controlling them. Uh, those were the ones that uh, really had to uh, you know, to legalize marijuana for the tax revenue. It wasn't mm-hmm. for free. And even when they're like cutting taxes, you know, they're so they, like the explicit justification is we're cutting taxes now so we can grow the economy and get more money. <laughs> like even right there, it's like, you know, you're, they're, they're, they're saying, hey, we're, ra- we're, ba- we're basically going to raise taxes on you, you know, you know, in the future. That's what, you know, or like not that they're actually going to raise your rates, but they're actually going to get raise more money from you after the growing econ- after the economy grows. Every and I guess and then they have like again six hundred years of examples of them doing exactly this sort of trade, where I'm going to trade you the rights to your own property. You know, it's how private property was born in exchange for money, and mm. that's what that, that's what they did every time. And and they're always willing to make that sort of trade. So if you can always and so any way you can convince them that. You know, doing policy prescription X will result in more power for Y. You know that it's like any time that you can make that prescription, you can or you you can make that argument to them successfully, they will take it every single time, no question. And so the sort of thing I've proposed is like the anti-tax, you know, which is like basically a, a way of using the concept of a sovereign wealth fund and tens of thousands of them at the local level to give the government, you know, basically more tax revenue, more economic value, more control. It's a better way of doing a tax cut than what they could, than their current model. 
if they just do it this way, you know, you get to have your cake, eat it too. And you get to have, you know, have a, you know, just a fuck ton more money to play around with. You get to, you know, you don't have to uh, raise taxes anymore in order to raise spending. You know, it's a, I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful system for them that greatly increases their power and basically makes taxation, obs- direct taxation obsolete for, you know, the taxpayers like you and me. So it works out great. Yeah, I find that really fascinating. I, I really like the idea. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that I just have a different view of it just because yeah. I live in a blue area because I don't yeah. see – like I was I was running yeah. my head through this scenario and I was thinking that like that the people in charge here, like even if we offered yeah. them this like uh, this new income yeah. revenue, right, I think that they wouldn't cut the taxes. I think they would just add that on top. They're like, yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. And then yeah. just fill their coffers even more. Yeah, that's exactly what would happen yeah. in, a, in a blue state is that, you know, the, you know, the, uh, you know the, just, it's not going to work in a blue state. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a really hard blue state like Oregon. Like the one pretty in. damn bad. Yeah. Oregon is pretty and, uh, damn bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting fine. for them, honestly, to like pass some fucking vax mandate bullshit and I'm just gonna head to Idaho. I mean that's that's sort of my game plan here. And I, I bought a house. I love it. Like I got chickens, I got a family, you got a baby. I, I you know, I love it here. I've got family here, but I figure out where all the people are moving to, you know, yeah. front, and then front run it because you know you're not going to be the only one, and you can front run the housing bubble that's going to cause. But yeah, the, the uh, yeah, in a blue state, this is not going to work, and I don't even propose it for that. I just say, hey, if you're in a blue state, your your option for the anti tax is move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, the, you know, step one is always move out. You know, for the step one for getting the an anti tax in your area is to move to a different area that doesn't have that blue state problem. And that's the only way you're going to get out of that. And uh, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, sad scenario, but it's, it's reality that you just got to move. And uh, to like Florida, you know, which is a very, very nice yeah. state, which is getting better under God Emperor DeSantis, who's, you know, finally, you know, fucking the left over, left and right. Yeah. Um, I, I do say the left, left and right. <laughs> I said that purposefully. Because there are, you know, left-wing Republicans, unfortunately. Do... I'm just a little bit afraid of that humidity, but... That's the only you thing used to me it. out of Florida. That's a lie. You don't yeah. get used to it. You get used to it. And uh, I say as a, as a uh, Florida man transplant into Texas. So the uh, yeah. Why are you doing the anti tax in uh, uh, my, the anti tax? Are you doing that in my uh, with Bugs Johnson in uh, you know, County? Are you doing it in Miami? I had both. Uh, yeah. The, the, is, you know, right now there's a good competition. You know, for between like a uh, you know where it, where it's going to end up first. I'm leaning towards like Florida because you know in both states you have to change some laws first. So basically, it's, it's like I can get some basic things you know going at the local level, but I can't do the full anti-tax just because the the laws are not there unless I want to try to really like you know reinterpret some of the existing laws. Mm. And I think they're not let me do that. And <laughs> yeah, so the. Uh, you know, I would basically have to classify the anti-tax as like a, a local welfare program. And, you know, instead of a, you know, because it's funded with reserve with reserves primarily, that's going to be that that's the real pickup. So if I want to make it just a welfare program and fund it not with reserves, but with a tax increase, which is kind of uh, it's going to make it a lot, lot more difficult, then I could do that. And that's that that's I, I'm pretty sure under, under current Texas law, I'm going to have to double check that. So don't quote me on that. I'd have to, you know, but I would have to, you know, uh, just double check that. But under current Texas law, I think if I if I classify it as a welfare program instead of a, 
uh, instead of a, uh, you know, a reserve investment program or something yeah. like that, that, you know, then I could, you know, you know, you know, get the whole thing through, but I just don't think they're going to let me do it. Well, and it kind of sounds like social security, but with actually, uh, you get it back. You know, well, there's a whole, bunch, like, there's a whole bunch of differences. I mean, because that's that. what they tried yeah. to sell social security as, right? And then yeah, like a they trust just took all or something the, like that. But yeah, uh, yeah now the, the uh, yeah, this is going to be very different in how yeah. it engages with the public and how the and the a level of public control over it, et cetera, et cetera, that makes it a substantially more uh, workable mechanism. But in both states, I'm going to have to change laws. This is the way I yeah. see it, and so. You know, depending, uh, and the reason I lean towards Florida and Miami is that, you know, okay, Miami has a very powerful mayor who has very large influence. And if he can, you know, get something like City, City Coin through, which he did, it, it's good. And, you know, uh, then, you know, I can, you know, maybe he can get, uh, basically what he would have to do is just pass it, you know, and, you know, kind of defy the law, you know, so to speak. But, and then dare DeSantis to, to sue him. That would be the thing. So basically it's like, and I, I just don't see DeSantis doing it, so de facto it works. And say, so, and with Abbott, I can, I can, I can still see Ken Paxton coming after me because Ken Paxton's the Attorney General here, and uh, the Republicans they don't like to talk about it, but Republican states are extraordinarily corrupt. And yeah, extraordinarily corrupt, particularly yeah. if you have the old guard in charge. Whereas, like with DeSantis, because he's like fat, you know, man of the people and all that, all that he's a real populist. Uh, I just don't, I don't see him being the one to sue and. That, and uh, I don't, it's not Pam Bondi who's still in charge in Florida. She's not the AG in, there anymore, right? I don't, think, I don't think so. And uh, but yeah, the uh, yeah. So like the I, I just I don't see DeSantis suing. But basically, I would. I, and then you know I would see him afterwards just legalize the whole thing and uh, you know just, and uh, we'll write it into law and maybe in the next uh, legislative session and we'll ram it through there. And because the alternative is. You know, you have to look like a real shithead to go against this thing, you know, which is just going to be, and it'd be basically, you're not just like, you're, you're both raising taxes and getting rid of a welfare program at the same exact time. It's like, good yeah. luck. Yeah, it's like, I will see you in court and I will, you know, particularly the court of public opinion, I will drag your name through the mud. It's like, oh my God, am I going to destroy you and uh, you know, with, your, with your Republican base? So it's like I, I can still see Ken, you know Greg Abbott and Ken Paxton going through with that, but DeSantis, no. Well, I vote Florida because uh, if you're doing that in Miami and so is doing his stuff, Florida's safe, right. and I can just yeah. not worry about it anymore. So I yeah. vote Florida. And with uh, yeah, and with uh, Florida too, you know, it's like if I can get Miami, every single other municipality is going to follow voluntarily. Yeah. At that point, it's just a matter of mopping up. You know, it's like I can mop up a few outliers who you know just you know retard you know. Uh, you know, late adopters, you know, yeah. but if I get the one big 800 pound gorilla, you know, to adopt my strategy, then it's game yeah. over. And I don't have to care about the, the legality of it, you know, because I'm just going to dare DeSantis to, uh, in, to, to, to sue me. There's so many people, a lot of libertarians moved to Florida, a lot, like, so much of so popular saying liberty mm -hmm. Republicans. I mean, there's so many people here who are willing to help you out with that yeah. and go do local level stuff in their own city. Like, I'm doing stuff in Marta, I got a friend doing something in Lakeland. It's like you have people here, and it's like this is a good system, my place. It's a good place to do it, and I'm trying oh, yeah. to say you on Florida because I need, I need, I don't want to worry about this anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I spoke with uh, the the uh, Florida LPMC the other night, and good they people. and they adopted it, and they adopted the whole. They said, okay, yeah, 
I mean, they hit me with rapid fire questions one after another. I answered every single one of them. And they're like, yeah, like while we're doing our local politics thing, this is something we're going to take with us. So yeah. yeah, it's like, I'm proud to say the Florida LP, the Florida LPMC is going to be helping along with the anti-tax. Yeah. Florida, Florida people are so, how do I put they're, this? They're good. Yeah, they're good. They view politics very differently than other states, I think. Florida and well, Texas. I mean, when, you, when, when you're the guy who got spared from billions of deaths at the hands of, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Gillum, and you know, and 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 you get like the best guy on the on the records, like, and you see how worse everything else was, and not not only this did uh, they did like the Florida tourism industry not get completely obliterated and destroyed, it had the best years ever had in its entire history. Because everything else got shut down, yeah. all of its competition shut itself down, <laughs> and it's like, when can you ever have that? And so, like, of course, they're going to be looking at you know, any libertarian who's in Florida is going to be looking at that like, hmm, you know, it could have been substantially worse, like t- at least two or three times worse than it actually was. And you know, maybe we should look take this up, you know, with all the money that's coming in and all the freedom we're getting to keep. Maybe we should, you know, take a more pragmatic approach that you know, doesn't shoot our liberty in the foot like they're doing in Georgia. And I'm sorry, like I know Kemp sucks, Purdue is better, not that much better. But you know, let's let, but uh, let's face it, you know, going on going in with a third party run to help elect Stacey Abrams, an actual communist, yeah. <laughs> is a uh, really really shit plan for liberty. And you're not yeah. going to make people up that way. They're, you're just going to you know make them more communist. Yeah, yeah, Stacey Abrams would be so bad. Good lord. Leftism and, and communism, de- degeneracy, anything on the left needs power up, up top. So if you have yeah. your four quadrants thing, anything on the left is fuel for the, the whole top. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like if you, if, you, if you want liberty, going with the left is never the way. You know, and, yeah. But if you don't want liberty and you're in the LP, which is, you know, normal. Uh, you know, then the uh, then that's exactly what's going to happen is that you're by helping the left get elected you're going to make the government substantially more powerful every time and yeah your 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 rhinos are not much better they are lefties you know but hey they're not that far to the left you know they still I mean and they still have to kind of pass as Republicans Kemp is not going to get elected get reelected he's just too hated at this point you know because of the uh, because of the election they're never going to forgive him for that but. You know, frankly, I think the race is open for whoever else is is uh there's gonna be any sort of MAGA Republican or America First guy to enter the race. I think he'd be the uh he'd be the one that you know, like he would win, he would beat Purdue, because Purdue's not that popular either. There yeah, and uh but yeah, but yeah, if you're gonna be, you know, trying to screw over, you know, the right in order to help the left in order to maybe just teach the right a lesson. You know about being not being so awful. You know, never mind the how awful the left is. You know, never. You know, they the, the bar is never on them. Onus is never on them to get better. Yeah, you know, and the like, oh, that's just because they're a lost cause. I'm like, oh, fuck. What kind of logic, <laughs> stupid logic is this? And, and you know, like God bless the you know the Florida you know PMC for you know have ha- having you know having some brains. You know because. You know, if they if they decided to run against run a person against DeSantis, you know, like that's un, that would be unforgivable for me. Yeah, and you know, it's like if, if, and helping to elect Stacey and like insert Republican candidate here versus Stacey Abrams, the choice is just like, like yeah. I don't care if it's like Susan Collins. Like, heck, I would vote for John McCain over Stacey Abrams. Granted, yeah, he's you know he's a cork burning hell, but you know the uh, you know. 
Yeah, I, it's like, I, I, I can't fathom, you know, that you would help elect Stacey Abrams as, you know, like far worse than anything that, you know, Kemp or Purdue might dream of. But, you know, but, but yeah, it's like, God bless the Florida's, you know, the Florida LP, at least they, you know, they have a brain on their, on their shoulders. I like it. Grand Joker. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that is one of my pet peeves when I see libertarians doing this. So like, the white's blood-soaked monsters and they ignore the left. And I'm like, I'm sorry, the LP's still pro-choice. Like, yeah. you don't get, you don't get a complaint about uh, blood-soaked monsters over here. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you're a pro-choice party, shut up about your principles. I don't give a shit. <laughs> They're about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. That's a, that. You know, I I usually do not get dogmatic on any issue except for like you know except for abortion, because even with war, you know, it's like okay, I can at least say that they that you know like they get deceived into the wars, or they just don't know anything about it, or whatever. They're told there's a terrorist, whatever, and yeah, actually they're yeah. bombing hospitals instead and orphanages. But you know, at least that. But like the people don't know that, and the moment yeah. you tell them. Like oh look at all the horrors of war. They're like oh my god, this is horrifying. We don't we want to stop it. And it's like mm-hmm. okay, so when you tell them the truth, you know they don't like it and they want to, they want to stop immediately. But you know with abortion, it's like this is a baby. There's no deception. Yeah. There's no possible deception here. Yeah, you know, there's there's no chance of you of this thing being a threat to anybody. You know, it's just you're killing it for your own convenience. It's a baby for for fuck's sake. And yeah. so, if, if, like, if you are saying, okay, there, and not just like that, we you know we believe in like a woman's right to choose, but oh, we believe there are good people on both sides of this of this issue. It's like mm-hmm. imagine if that you know they said there were good people on both sides of the war issue. You know, like you know, like uh, like Dave Smith would go nuclear. Like, forget nuclear. He would go like uh, you know, like Chicxulub, like right? the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. That's how nuclear he would go. Uh, you know, uh, on them, rightfully so. So it's like, the, you know, the one issue I get dogmatic on is abortion. The fact that they kind of like, oh, we're just going to remove the plank. So you're going to, okay, you're going to sweep it under the rug. Like, yeah, yeah. shut up. You know, all you did was sweep a, sweep a pro-choice position under the rug. And the reason you won't take that, you know, take the pro-life position is because you don't want to lose your caucus. Because a whole bunch of their caucus is also pro-choice. I got to ask you this real quick. Um, this is once I get into I lost uh, the pro-life libertarians. They don't want to regulate it the way outlaw it. Yeah. They, they're still against the state. They're like, no, we still don't make abortion illegal. Mm-hmm. What's your view on that? Because I think I don't. I'm, I'm conflicted on the whole. Like, so we make abortion illegal or not? Ah, uh, you know the basically, you know, in places where it is illegal around around the world, you don't get any of the you know horror stories about oh, you're going to check for miscarriages or something like that. And by the way, there's yeah. no ambiguity about whether this was a miscarriage or a uh, you know, or an abortion. There's no ambiguity there. And, you know, but even even in places like Ireland, where it, it, it's, a, it's legal now, but up until like last year, it was illegal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the uh, you know, like they never had like, you know, checks or anything. You know, they, there was no there was no like vagina police or whatever. That's just fear mongering. That was that's uh, what been my assumption as well. Like, yeah. All, all these claims don't yeah. seem to really apply. to they, reality. They, they, You don't have them in, in, in any Muslim countries where abortion is illegal. And. You know, it's just it's just not a thing, and so it's just fear mongering that oh the state that you know re- what you're and it would really just be the tattletale system. You know, yeah. like you, if you if you found out someone had abortion, you told the police, then they would they would go in yeah. and find the evidence pretty quickly. So and, I typically I, I am one of those libertarians that I'm very pro life, yeah. uh, but I'm not necessarily in. Uh, I don't want to make it illegal. I I don't know. I think it has to be a cultural shift. I think because we have to stop the reason why people are getting abortions in the first place. And I think that that comes from uh, 
Kind of. I don't know. It, you know I, 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 I don't think it's too Because, I mean, yeah. ultimately, I mean, people are going to have those abortions. I think that there will still be back alley abortions. People are going to take herbs. They're going to do whatever they're going to have to do to kill these babies. And so I think, mm-hmm. like, we have to get to the root uh, root cause. And uh, and I honestly, well, I mean, more education, people don't, don't fucking know what an abortion is. Like, wh- once you show them, like, what a baby looks like at six weeks or eight weeks, at yeah, 12 weeks, once they, they typically, once they know more about it and they're like, holy shit, it has fingernails and a heartbeat, like, yeah. you'll, like, I just 80, have my, 88% of the time, they're like, uh, never mind. No, I'm going to keep okay, it. I don't have the, uh, I don't have the ultrasound yeah. here, but I just had my eight weeks. Uh, yeah, for, brother. For, for, for my, kid, for my kid. Hell yeah, and, brother. You know, Congratulations. It's like, it's like, I mean, it's looked like a baby. You, yeah, know, you, can see, yeah. you can see the eyes. You can see the heartbeat. You can see, you can yeah. see the, like the, the, the kind of fingers-ish. You can see the head. And, and it, it, it is a baby. I mean, yeah. it looks like a baby. It's the size of a Brussels <laughs> belt, sure. But it, yeah. it looks like a baby. And there's no ambiguity there. That, yeah. you know, this is a, and so it's you know, such a beautiful feeling, man. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so, and for me, it's like, cause I was, you know, I was always told I wasn't going to be able to have them. So like, for me, this is like extra special gift from God. So that's why I get dogmatic on this issue and I get emotional yeah. on the issue when I, I typically don't with other issues, but the, uh, you know, but, but like for, with this, I just, I don't see, you know, the, uh, you know, I don't see the problem. It's like, yeah, if, if you outlaw, if you do use prohibition, sometimes it will make the, the issue worse you know and but it's like okay when the issue and that that's true for things like you know drugs and alcohol which are you know commodities that people have a right to consume when it's something like murder you know murdering murdering babies like even if you know you might say there are going to be some unintended consequences from this it's like what you know what kind of society is going to stay free if you allow murder you know so what i, mean? yeah. what I find that's, fascinating too though is like i i almost feel like it's like pandora's box now in this shitty culture and this yeah. in this shitty country it, like it's been so widely accepted and it's such a a thing now that if we did make it illegal i mean talk about accelerationism I think we'd get some secession, more secession movements. Well, I think that'd be great. We'd get you some know, left I, secessionists that'd be like. And, uh, yeah, I think that'd be excellent. And, you know, more power to them. But the, the thing I would uh, show with that, with that is that, hey, if the, uh, you know, if you make it, if, if, if it's murder. If you, if you, if, if we were in an anarchy situation, you know, like in the bit in like the biblical covenant, you know, there was a there was a there was an anarcho copy and anarcho covenant in the old testament during the time of the judges, and during that time, everyone had the right to enforce the law. That's why you didn't need a police force, is that everyone was a cop, you know, and they had the full power of the law behind them. And so, you know, they didn't have they, you know, there was like three kinds of justice enforcement for all of the laws. You know, if you and uh, you know, one was you know vigilante justice, two was mob lynchings, and three was uh, a jury trial if you made it past the first two. <laughs> and so the uh, basically, you know, every in an anarchy situation, everybody would be able to enforce the full power of the law. So mm-hmm. it's it's like you know the 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 idea that I I, need, I even need a government to enforce the law for me, I don't. And you know, in an anarchy, anybody can enforce the law. It's not just like some special right anybody has. You don't get, you know, and so, uh, and when you give a monopoly on on on, uh, on violence, you give a monopoly on law enforcement to the government. Of course, they're going to abuse them. They're not going to enforce the law very well. 
And I, th I think the same thing has happened with abortion that, you know, it's because we gave them a monopoly on justice, a monopoly on violence, a monopoly on law enforcement that, you know, shut, lo and behold, you know, all three really kind of suck. And, mm -hmm. you know, so if the, uh, you know, if it's going to be outlawed, you know, if like murdering babies is going to be an outlawed thing that anybody can enforce in the, in the, uh, in an anarcho covenant, which is what would, what would happen. Uh, I would think that, you know, that something close to that would actually be what Texas just passed with like the tattletale system. And because that does, you know, allow for some for you know, some mild enforcement on, you know, against abortion providers. I think that's actually the, the system which comes closest to the anarcho covenant because everybody can enforce it, you know, private, public, whatever. And if you can be a tattletale and prove it, good. You know, then you can get a uh, you can get like a ten thousand dollar bounty. That's pretty good. And even yeah, okay, maybe that coming from taxpayers, or you know, or maybe I'm not sure if that comes from taxpayers or the uh, or the, uh, the the you know abortion providers themselves. But either one works for me. I'm fine with the I'm fine with the state enforcing natural rights. I think because yes. again, everybody has that right, not just the state. And so mm -hmm. the fact they're taking monopoly on it is really fun to have there. So, you know, they're really what it should be is everyone should be allowed to, to uh, do the law enforcement and justice thing and not just the state. And so the, the, the solution I would actually push is, you know, that tattletale system that they just passed. And I think that's one that is going to be held, upheld in court. And I'm pretty sure I saw today that uh, it got upheld and the, and the Supreme Court declined to take, a, take it as a case wow. because it was upheld. So, and the, uh, so yeah, it's basically here to stay now. And Man, that's telling. I mean, the Supreme Court, or I mean, I guess just the court systems in general have been doing some interesting stuff lately too. I mean, uh, what, I mean, I think it's every single one of Joe Biden's uh, vax mandates are now on hold. I yeah. mean, I don't know if they, you know, they might go through, but I don't think so, dude. I mean, they are so blatantly unconstitutional. And I know that like yeah. they basically piss on the constitution all the time, but this is so blatantly Overtime. unconstitutional yeah that i just don't see them pushing this yeah. and, and yeah. uh yeah i mean I'm, I'm hopeful with the supreme court but i think the uh, i think they're going to stack it you know if they if they yeah. if they strike down abortion if they start or they you know uphold row you know the way that the election was fortified yeah <laughs> you know the the uh, you know they use some like uh so, you know, because this is what the, I, I listened to all of the oral arguments for that for the uh, Roe v. Wade case for Mississippi, which is shocking that they you know they took it down to fifteen weeks. I'm like that's nothing. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, you know, that's like just that's not even the first trimester. You know, the uh, you're still in the second trimester right there. But the the way the justices were leaning and the questions they were asking kind of signaled to me, okay, they're looking for a you know to. Uh, uphold row i'm saying that in quotation marks for anybody yeah. listening uh but not really uphold it you yeah, know, they're gonna, yeah they're gonna like blow a, they're gonna blow a shotgun blast through it and say that oh well look the major structure of it is still there and really it's not and so that's what they're going and they're going to be like redefining you know viability as it's viable at 15 weeks yeah <laughs> and, uh, yeah we upheld it yep still viable at 15 weeks that that passes the viability test and you know, that's the, uh, yeah, so anyway, the, uh, 
you know, and then they're gonna, and then when the you know other ones get there, like the heartbeat law and stuff like that, then they're gonna have a, a trouble because they have a heartbeat of like four weeks or something. Yeah. Like that. And there's another one for I think from Georgia or Alabama that's like brain waves, and yep. you know which is like seven weeks, and so that like they're going to be uh, you know seven or it's like the end of the seventh week, mm-hmm. you know, for brain waves, but you know it's, it's like and they're just going to probably uphold it, you know, there yeah. that oh it's brain wave it has brain waves therefore viability. I mean, I just, how fucking ghoulish and terrible and awful do you have to be to be, you're sitting there arguing like, yes, it has brain waves. And you're like, yes, I want it dead. You know, like that's, that's, Jesus. And and, just listening to this woman, I'm like, wow, this is like pure evil. And because they, they never will go, they will not touch, she would not touch it with a 10 foot pole. She would just say, well, we feel the rights of the mother are really what's important. We're not questioning that the child has rights. What we're really saying is that, well, these are two rights in conflict and the rights of the mother are what matter more in this case. And here's how that's been uh, litigated by the courts of the past. And, you know, you have to uh, adhere to the precedent. And then Kavanaugh's like, no, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, we don't. We don't return precedents all the time. Nice. And, uh, it's like, you know, no, it's like just because there's precedent there, just because the court ruled on that exact question the wrong way the first time doesn't mean we can can't overturn it. And th- yeah. this was the argument from the uh, from the other side that oh look at all the times we've overturned precedent. You know, it's like it's like yeah, if you want to look at like the way uh, you know Brown v. Board was decided decided or I'm not not sure if that was the one, but uh, you know it's like all these uh, you know wait, wait, times where they decided oh like separate but equal and you know that was upheld and they overturned it because that's just not true you know you you can't yeah you, you can't say that these are like rights and conflict flick that doesn't really work for people and you know and the and the supreme court has overturned precedents all the time because they were just these were just cases that were just wrongly decided obviously so and so i think we're going to be getting to that uh you know it, it, even if they don't uphold uh if, even if they they do a full uphold of roe the fact that they didn't uh, strike that they, they chose not to strike down the uh, yeah you know, 100%. The Texas law because that one's a death blow you know yep. that you know that that one will bankrupt because that one is Texas after six weeks and so mm-hmm. like that's it like that's like prob- that's like up there with like a heartbeat law yeah and, you know, and if you're just allowed to sue them and it's privately enforced and it's not the state <laughs> that's uh, violating your laws and there's every single other co- uh, uh, you know, red state is just going to adopt that law instead, which is even more of a death blow than the than the uh, Mississippi one was. And there were already like nine like nine states that only had one abortion clinic in the entire state. And I think it's actually I think that number's up to thirteen now. And there's like one or two. I think Missouri's one of them that doesn't have any nice. that doesn't have any abortion clinics in the entire wow. state. And the uh, like uh, and you know, I, I, like I heard of a a guy who had to uh, you know drive his uh, wife from. Uh, Texas to Mississippi to get the abortion because like all the states in between are just you know decimated it and the, and the, what uh, a giant piece of shit come on honey let's go kill the baby yeah we have to you know we have road to trip it. yeah we have to take it like a set an eight or nine hour drive yeah. for this that was literally a plot of an HBO movie HBO Maxman movie about this but really like kids go getting abortion to hold a film on a road trip it's a parents car to get an abortion I'm like this is a comedy what the fuck. Like it was so disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask a quick. Go ahead. Um, is there a term for when like so one state did an abortion bill and a bunch of other states like shit we can do it and they all adopted it? 
Is there a term for that? Like, I know that's like when you see your bet and almost anti tax, once you do it once, it kind of like spreads. Is there a term for uh, when they adopt something that spreads across? Uh, for the spreading across, I would call that word that uh, word propagation. propagation. You know, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if the, uh, you know, that, if there's a word for, you know, just for just the, the mass adoption. There's so know, many like political science terms. I was wondering if there's like a, like a, 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 a yeah. what are things like? Yeah, so I, mean, I, I think in terms like... of computer science, so I would use mm-hmm. the I would use the term propagation for I install the program and now it propagates itself. You know, makes copies mm-hmm. of itself. Yeah. everywhere else and you know it may be mild variations i would call that propagation propagation okay yeah at least in, in uh in like data science that term is like but you know we have what are called evolutionary algorithms that mm. you know and we, we use that term uh, propagation of a type of a phenotype mm. you know where a phenotype really works and therefore it propagates yeah. into the next generations so very cool very cool all right, gentlemen. I I hear my baby in the background. I gotta go uh, eat dinner with the family. Um, I appreciate both your time, Andrew. I love having you on, man. I'm gonna have to have you back. That was a lot Absolutely. of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, we can schedule it anytime. Awesome, man. Well, God bless you both. Mm-hmm. Caleb, it's always great talking with you too. <laughs> you too, man. Later, guys.